We're doing nothing. I'm gonna pee. Yeah, Reddish yeah, whenever everybody else yeah, is. Yeah. Everybody ready? Should I hit the button? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm hitting the button. Yeah. She Shut up. It. The podcast is starting. Thank you. That was the best one yet, I think. It's committed. You're doing a good job. Last one for a while, yes, so you know. Wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Celluloid Breakdown. I'm Joey Bonnier. With us, as always, is Sean Faw. Across the table, Derek Laporte. Hello. Next to him, Tim Snow. Yo, Tamer. And we have a special guest today, Mr. George Oliver. Hi. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bring in the heat. <laughs> so uh, we t- watched a movie. We watched a movie. We, we did wa- watch a movie. What did we watch, Derek? We watched The Man Who Shot Jack Palance. <laughs> oh, you wish. Ah, yeah. If yeah. only. Would be great. Do. You should star in that movie. I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my number one guy. You're yeah. My lucky deck. Mm. Yes. Unfortunately, so it was Liberty Van- Valance. Yeah. Still good. Still good. But. Not Jack Palance. No. Jack Palance's best film was Lib- uh, Winter's End, I mm. think. Yeah, mm. I'm going to go with City Slickers 2. I'm going to go with Batman. Bat- Sorry, it took me a minute to catch up, but I, I figured out who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One you're of the bad guys in Batman. I got it. I got it. White hair, City Slickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um... One-handed push-ups. Directed by mm-hmm. uh, Mr. John Ford, starring mm. John Wayne, our favorite Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Sorry, Stewart. I, it was my pick. It's your uh, pick, I didn't, George. I didn't realize that you guys had already done a John Ford Western. Don't apologize for this one. I think um, it's great. No, no. Yeah. This is actually pretty sweet, because yeah. I think this is the last Western that he did with John Wayne. Isn't mm-hmm. that true? No idea. Sounds well, about right. The, so here's the... the what's Because we uh, watched the first one earlier. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's a good compare and contrast. Yeah. Uh, between this and Stagecoach. Yeah. yeah, they figured out how to work a camera. <laughs> <laughs> I still like that shot. Mm. Like, like, it's like John Wayne, welcome the, to the world. Philosophical differences. That's fine. I like You're the idea done. of the shot. I like yeah, the idea I, of the <laughs> shot. <laughs> I can't like believe that. I agree with Sean. Yeah. It's a cold day well, now. As you know, at a certain point, it, when it gets put in and that's that, yeah. It's like you yeah. just like start to accept it. It's more like I accept that shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, like Amor Fati or whatever. Well, you know, like uh, how many bad pieces are in great movies that you like that yeah, you yeah. just accept as like oh the character of the movie. You overlook mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of things if yeah. you if there's something to grab you. You know, if the story is there, if the uh, characters are compelling. You can overlook bad sound. You can overlook bad camera. You can overlook a lot of crap. Yeah. Well, it's like it's yeah. like now with every movie with focus, for instance. True. The, most movies have quite a bit of out of focus shots on them. Well, the so. day you guys are ready to go past sixty four, and you want to talk <laughs> about Ninja Turtles, I'm ready. <laughs> oh wow! Fuck, I'm in. The original. The original. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, totally. And uh, I, I, I will, I will yeah, bring yeah. in comparisons to Casablanca. That'll be. <laughs> That's oh. great. And people laugh, but it's true. I, it's, it's a great movie. I do love good that movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that this one is a good choice. Elias be- Cateus because is fantastic. It is... It? Sorry, well, I stepped on what you said. 
No, no. he was still talking about turtles. We'll yeah, get off it. Yeah. Sorry. That's really? okay. It was pretty much just kind of a low bones moment. Back to huh. your show. Okay. Uh, well, I think this is a good one because it it looks back at Stagecoach. It's, it's like John Ford's kind of beginning and end of his Westerns. And we can, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we can see the, the, the extreme transition and the chasm between these two movies. It's pronounced I mean, chasm. Is it? No. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it ain't. Um, chism. Chism, I think. Chism. But it's 1962, Chism? so yeah. this is the most recent film we've done, I think. Pretty sure. Mm, well, I mean, other than uh, uh, Coburn. 67. Oh, you're right. I'm Coburn, sure. yeah. Come on. Yeah. This is kind of an outlier, though. So. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, that's, that's true. Was, that's I thought 64 was the cutoff. You know, sometimes is, with- uh, yes. sometimes people just yes. do what yeah. they want to do. Also, James came on and did a film starring his dad, mm, so yeah. it was like, There's you know- Exceptions. Yeah. How are we going to say yeah. no to that, you know? Yeah. Also, I think Ivan's You can listen to it if you- Fifty-four. Search Fawcast Studios. Um, Fawcast.com. Yeah. Or you can head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Fawcast. Give uh, us money. Yeah. Give us money, yeah. Yeah. Also, go to my Instagram account. Mm, Did you ever figure out what that was? Nope. Okay, cool. Search for Tim on on Instagram. (laughs) I'm sure you'll find him. Tim, yeah. (laughs) He's the only Tim. Snow. Yeah. All right, let's get to some meat and potatoes here, guys. <laughs> oh, nice. So, Sean, uh, I want you I to really tell me that was steak. actually that was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> so, Sean, <laughs> thank you. So, Sean, uh, can you take us through some of the uh, the plot and the story of this movie? Um, oh boy, yeah. So we got ourselves a Jimmy Stewart showing up to a dusty western town. Uh, he gets off the train with his lovely wife, and we find out that he is the senator of. Do we know what state this was? No, they leave it. Yeah, they leave just it. Kind yeah of, I don't know. The, whatever state he was from in uh, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, it's probably the same state. Um, either way, he is uh, cornered by the newspaper men to try and figure out what the big senator's doing in town. And it turns out he's there for a funeral. And he's trying to keep it all private and whatnot. And the uh, the newsmen decide that it's it's their business to know why he is there and start kind of... Uh, weirdly, rudely interrogating him in the middle of a funeral, like while they're sitting, looking at a casket, kind of weird, but you know, press people are scum. So it makes sense. And, uh, he sits down and starts telling the story of the guy in the casket and the guy in the casket, of course, is the Duke, uh, Mr. Uh, John Wayne himself. Um, and the story starts to unfold that back way back in the way back when, um, we had Mr. Jimmy Stewart, what was Jimmy, uh, Ransom, what was his name? Ransom Stoddard. Ransom Stoddard. Ransom is just, I didn't, I didn't realize for half the movie that Rance was short for Ransom, which I just thought was like Ransom is, I've heard the name Rance before. There's Rance Priebus, but like. That's Rance. That's Rance. Rance. Is it? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Then maybe I I've like never Rance. Heard. I thought it was kind of cool. Rance. That's cool. Yeah. Ransom. Why would you go back to Ransom after that? I mean, as your official name, I, if you're going to go by Rance, I don't know. I think stick to Rance. Rance I is kind of Ransom's cool, man. Rance, Rance <laughs> is kind of dope. Cool. Yeah. I mean, nobody uh, believes Ransom though. in the old true. west. That, you don't want to give people ideas. Name? Ransom. That's true. Like, oh, sure. Okay, sure. Yeah, Ransom. Nobody seems, take you seriously. Ransom seems more like the black hat, not the not the white hat. Yeah, that's also true. The villain is named. Like if I read that in a script, though, I'd probably scoff at it. You know? That mm. is a uh, weird juxtaposition. They kind of yeah. switched the the black hat and the white hat sort of situation with yeah. the names there anyways. Yeah. But either way, we got, uh, uh, we're in the way back when, and uh, Jimmy Stewart comes to town. And uh, as he's coming into town, he gets uh, roughed up by some ruffians who rob him and beat him and send the stagecoach on its way. Uh, he winds, ba- winds up back in town getting cared for by the local restaurant tour. 
um, who happened to be a, an old Swedish couple with a lovely little daughter. Um, and the, the he kind of... That is the daughter, right? I, I don't think so. No, no, just like a worker? No, she just, yeah, she's just mm-hmm. like the waitress there. Okay. Right on. The, yeah. the only woman in At town. Town steakery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the only woman in town who speaks. Oh, yeah. True, true. There, I, are, there, there are other women. <laughs> there's the um, uh, the marshals. Oh, Actually, uh, that, that, the, the girl no, speaks No, yeah, because the, the, the older lady speaks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. speaks true. in the classroom. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. not true. And the yeah. marshal's Fair wife and his 80 children. Fair. Um, but yeah, he's uh, kind of cared for and uh, brought back to health by the nursed the old. Thank you, nurse back to health by the old family, the Swedish family, and the waitress that works at the inn. Um, he decides to start setting up shop as a lawyer. Um, we learn that he is a fresh out of law school, as his law books were uh, destroyed by Mister Liberty Liberty Valens. Um, so they move. Uh, basically, the Everything kind of unfolds in that Liberty Valance is the town ruffian and Jimmy Stewart's character, Mr. Rance, has taken it on as his personal quest to not only uh, get revenge, but rid the town of this nuisance. Um, so it kind of goes back and forth for a little while, and we get to a place where, uh, uh, well, actually, things happen really fast. Yeah. Apparently, it's like three days, but he sets up a school. He teaches everyone to read. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, he does. A, days are long he, out there. He anyway. washes a lot of dishes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he pays his keep. Um, but basically, we get to a point where uh, he is uh, practicing with a gun that he has been rejected for quite some time, but he decides to meet Mr. Liberty Valance in the street after he has killed the newspaper reporter who he is well, he doesn't, shacked he doesn't up with. kill him. Oh, that well, we're, we're led to believe much. that he kills the, the newspaper reporter. Yeah. That's a, a spoiler, gentlemen. Um, but as uh, uh, at that point, basically, they meet in the street. There's a duel. The Liberty Valance character is very skilled with the gun and throws a few warning shots. We got a sort of tortoise, tortoise in the hair situation where he's kind of toying with him. And uh, we get the final shot from Jimmy Stewart's character to take down the big bad villain. Uh, fast forward to find out that it wasn't actually Jimmy Stewart's character. We find out that it was the Duke that shot him from the alley. But we move forward with Jimmy Stewart being proclaimed the hero. He's the guy that shot Liberty Valance. He is nominated to represent the town for the statehood vote. And then when he gets to the statehood vote, he is nominated to be the senator from whatever state this happens to be. Um, And... That's kind of when we come back to reality, or I should say real time, or Mm -hmm. uh, what is current time in the movie. And we are with the reporters, and they decide to rip up the story because the legend of Mr. Mr. the Duke versus Mr. Uh, Smith is a uh, much worthwhile thing for the people to have, more so than the actual story. Print the the legend. Yeah, print print the the legend, legend, not the myth. Or what? No. The legend, not the truth. Basically, don't reveal who actually shot Liberty yeah. Valance. Yeah, because he is a, yeah, a yeah. well-renowned, respected senator, and he's done all this stuff yeah. in the government. He's been governor and ambassador and all sorts of shit, and it's all kind of on the back of this right. idea that he is the guy who shot Liberty Valance. Meanwhile, Tom, Tom dies mm-hmm. in this town, and the newspaper people don't even know that he who he was mm-hmm. so yeah. clearly it's, total obscurity yeah, yeah it's complete and utter security obscurity yep. for him yeah. so um george mm. why, why'd you pick this film 
I thought it would be a good one to talk about just because there's so many elements in it that are kind of relevant at the moment. Like one thing I, one conversation I have a lot, I think is interesting is the fact that there are no movie stars anymore except for Tom Cruise. Um, and this is, a, like, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you on that real quick. Mm-hmm. Can you define movie star? Cause I think I might have a different, a, uh, idea. Uh, an actor who can, who can open a film at a certain, uh, box office, uh, range consistently. Okay. okay. Um, so just, just for, so like for instance, uh, Will Smith is one that people bring up, but Will Smith's had a lot of flops lately. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, so it's the consistency more so than yeah. Well, there's there's a cultural element too. That the two are tied. You gotcha. can't really you can't really leave them alone. Uh, so it's like uh, their place in the culture, but mm-hmm. also how much money they make. And but there's that's a kind measurement of, of their place in, right, place in the culture, right. certainly. So like like for instance, uh, uh, who was opening a lot? Scarlett Johansson for mm-hmm. all the Avengers mm-hmm. films, technically. Yeah. But she doesn't exist in that same. Iconic level that like John Wayne does. Yeah, she can't just do any random movie and the people will show up for it. Right, she can do an an action movie or a a superhero movie and the people will come, but that's a separate thing. And we're all kind of, we're around the same age. And it's like the the films that we we were like, we had the last gasp of the old studio system. Mm -hmm. So it's like- 1999. Stallone, (laughs) Schwarzenegger, Mm -hmm. Will Smith- all these people, they and none of them really have held all the way through except um, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, but looking back at something like this, with like you got Jimmy Stewart, who's iconic, and mm-hmm. you have John Wayne in the same film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly, Lee Marvin and Lee Van Cleef and people who are who we know, yeah, not yeah. at the same level. Totally. But it's this it's a great story because it's like they it's like it's like the perfect combination of that both the icons, like literally the movie star qualities of both the people are the things that the story seems to be written about. Yeah. Uh, and they are put into contrast in a way that's not like a bad guy, good guy story. It's more, but the, interestingly, you know, like Jimmy Stewart's character is the one who comes out on top and he is the one. And then you're wondering, is this the writer? Is this John Ford's perspective on uh, the way things should be? Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 I, I I miss uh, I, I kind of half joke a lot of times nowadays. I say I I just rather watch anime than <laughs> a lot of stuff that's out there. And I think what I'm sort of saying is I'm I'm searching for a a story that has some redeeming quality to it. Mm. I don't want to just like watch a story about something that's sad and that has no. Uh, that's why I don't watch a lot of nonfiction. It's well, just- I'm not a big fan of anime myself, but I do understand and from the small amount of it that I've seen that there is a great deal more depth to just about everything in the structure of stories in anime. Hmm. Like there is, you know, it, it seems like our television, our movies are a lot more like surface level and, you know, caricatures and archetypes where they like, they do seem to play a little bit more with the sort of um, mixing and matching and finding like deeper stories to tell. It's sort of that, uh, that sort of all comes back to Joseph Campbell at a certain point, mm. right? It's like, there's only one story yeah, to yeah. tell, so you better tell it well. <laughs> right. Yep, yeah, totally. And, 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 you know, it's not an argument that I necessarily agree with all the time. Like mm. you get, you could look at, uh, but it is a good argument. Yeah. It's like a three act structure. It's like yeah. how, if something happens, 
Uh, you know, it, it starts, it occurs, and it ends. Yep. And you're already on the road to three acts inside that. It's sort of impossible. So if your story is about an action, which let's hope it is, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it is. Derek, Derek might disagree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I think this is just a great, like this was two hours long and I've seen it before and I was entertained by it the mm-hmm. whole way through. There wasn't a lot of dead time, despite mm-hmm. the fact it was made in what sixty two. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. think it's the it's a credit to John Ford's style of, and, and in a way, it's it's ironic. It's like he almost didn't seem to give a shit about anything but the story. Yeah, and if it if he got it, it was just like that's it. Let's keep going, hmm. and let's make sure that the story is interesting. He gave us two great characters to learn about and invest our time in and a lot of stuff now it's like this, you know, what's the, the, the sort of, um, auteur style Mm. of filmmaking. I'll call it like Tarkovsky, Kubrick, uh, blah, 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 blah. Mm. It's all sort of like that keep you at arm's length. Mm. Like you can't get too emotionally invested in it because they don't allow you to, because frankly, I don't think they ever, get that emotionally invested in it. It's all very aesthetic. Yeah. And, and very technical and very mm-hmm. like precise, but not very emotional. And John Ford's like the opposite. Mm. He's like, actually, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to set it up as like a paradigm where there's like a, a there's two sides. There's many sides. It's a spectrum more than anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and John Ford sits at the, like, he's very much the storyteller. Mm. It's not about the pieces. It's all the right pieces. But it's not about, he doesn't fetishize any of the individual pieces. If anything, it's probably the characters that he fetishizes or but a, uh, obsesses over. A great part of the way that he tells that story is he like knows, or at least it feels like he knows exactly how to control the audience in that like there should be that sort of ebb and flow of emotion. So there are these mm-hmm. like tense moments, there's these sort of like, uh, you know, somber moments, and then there's there's like genuinely funny comedic moments which are just you know to me that is the biggest weapon in his arsenal in this movie is that like seeing the duke doing hat tricks and like Mm. you know just like being a little bit goofy but still being fucking john wayne well there is the uh i you know i heard some something really interesting recently it was on a Rogan podcast, mm. Cornell West was on of all people, mm. but, but it was interesting to hear him talk for an extended period of time. And I think, I think he was quoting someone else, but to your point, um, he, he said, uh, he was talking about two historical figures, Socrates and Jesus. Mm. And he said, the, the problem with them as characters, I'm, I'm, I should say I'm paraphrasing Certainly. and I'm probably getting half of this wrong, but the That's problem- podcasts are. It's all paraphrasing. Well, they can check it. They can go listen to it. The problem with Socrates uh, was that he never laughed. And the problem with Jesus is, or I'm sorry, Socrates never cried. Jesus never laughed. Hmm. And that was as a characterization, their great flaws. They're, 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 they become, it's all Kubrick Tarkovsky land at a certain point. It's like, mm. it's, it's too far outside of yeah. reality. John, John Ford sits firmly in reality yeah. where you do have, as I think to your point, that stuff is super important Yeah, because if you start to, you know, it's hard for, it's like when I was like 19 years old, I was really into Lars von Trier and I still <laughs> love a lot of his movies, but at a certain point uh, I realized that 
it's just a trick. He's yeah. just doing a trick. It's like uh, same thing with, uh, and there's like a, my adolescent mind was really attracted to like that dark, like, like art, like uh, you're in an art history class. And I, I like Caravaggio a lot. And it's really like very dark and serious looking, or mm. you're into Shakespeare's, um, uh, you know, all the tragedies because they're more serious and important and all this kind of stuff. But the older I get, the more I realize that, no, that's just like something that your adolescent mind like <laughs> can comprehend about all the, all the other elements of something like, like a story like this. Like you might laugh at it and say, hey, Jimmy Stewart talks funny. But when you get to the point of what the story is about, it's actually, uh, it, it's this holistic view of, of like that dude, his life kind of what happened to him after, you know what I mean? They mm -hmm. took off, they had a great life and he just ended up this guy who never finished the room, you know, he like, he just lived alone for the rest of his life or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, that's, but, but he knew that he had done the right thing by saving this guy. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's an interesting and much more complicated view on things than like, um, than a lot of these more auteur. Right. Well, uh, it has that implied story. That's yeah. like an implied yeah. story that it doesn't, directly show and that's so much like more impactful and like it is deep as a character to just kind of allude to like all of this random crap that he's done and just, i don't know I, yeah. I feel like too many movies these days like try and just give you too much information and try and explain too much and like just leaving it's almost like the difference between seeing a movie and reading a book and that like you're kind of filling in those gaps rather than just being shown right. everything yeah. I think that I think that like so I I differentiate a little bit the two guys that you're talking about and I think Stanley Kubrick's more at a more at a arm's length than Tarkovsky is but only because Tarkovsky is kind of doing a Proust kind of thing where he's trying to affect your involuntary memory of an event by like triggering something that might bring up some connotation to some other memory that might actually be a personal thing whereas I don't think Kubrick really ever does that um, but it's kind of a similar thing in a way to what happened in this with that with the fact that you're seeing kind of uh, you have that that story that's outside the thing right where we have like a bigger picture than just the picture you know yeah. well that's always that's impossible not to happen it's it's it, you know um there is no story that that is isolated so much that it doesn't connect back to reality. That's that's the oh whole, no no, no. I mean some even try and encapsulate it in their movie rather than like letting the picture bleed outside of the edges. Sure, yeah. sure. It's a, but that's a it's like to your point. It, it's probably not a smart thing to do because it's too complicated. Yeah, you know, well, like, you oversimplify yeah. everything, and that's how you make it work, which is. Well, movie stuff. like sim sim simplification, right? You might say, you might say John Ford's films are oversimplifications yeah, of things. The question I'm going to ask, is it, is it oversimplified? I don't think so. I think, uh, I think at a certain point you could, you could argue it from the point of perspective where it's like, okay, this perspective is basically somewhere between Jimmy Stewart's character and John Wayne's character. We, as the audience are coming in to this film to watch them. Chances are, especially when it was made. Yeah. Um, so you might say a lot of 2019 kind of like political statements about like the way Mexican characters are represented and black characters and women and 
and John Ford, in typical fashion, mm-hmm. he's going to give you a wink and a nod to it, like the the scene when they're voting, mm-hmm. where uh, our black characters are, are, yeah. are all yeah. on the outside, mm-hmm. um, like in the bar scene. Yeah, when it's he like, goes in for the drink or what? Right, right. Which is even more deliberate. Yeah, but it's like, look, man, he's like he is thinking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But at yeah. a certain point, you can't have your story be about everything. <laughs> you know, it has to be about one thing. Because mm-hmm. for it to be effective, yeah, especially in the look, it's, it's a it's a 120 minute movie, you know, like there's yeah. only so much time. Yeah. We there's flashbacks and there's yeah. like this yeah. crazy structure and there's all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you have to uh, you have to choose what your story is about. It's like talking to film students, you know, <laughs> where you end up like like look, you literally only have five minutes. <laughs> like there's like do you really have to make a decision about this? And and the decision can't be, I want to talk about uh, you know, uh, a generic a generic kind of emotion yeah. or it, it all has to become specific at a certain point. It's like to your point about uh Tarkovsky, it's like phew, Man, that sounded real over my head. The Proust thing? Yeah, <laughs> okay. It's going to connect to a memory and you're going to fall asleep. And know, next I, week, I, next I, Thursday, I, I you're going to wake up. I like that. No, no, no. like, oh my God. Uh, no, it's, it's like, okay, so it's like this. So Proust's thing that he wasn't, he came up with this thing in which he saw uh, some, I bet it was, I think it was tea leaves inside of a thing, which then he remembered this event that occurred earlier in his life based upon this. And he remembered the room that he lived in and all these kinds of things based upon this one tiny little bit. And so, you know, you, you have some of those, all, all of the things that he does in his movies are based upon memories that he has, like a single solitary memory that, you know, is tangible because it goes across all the different films. Um, it's not meant to be heady. I think that he himself would have said that his movies are not meant to be heady. Yeah, he and he, Kubrick were he, on odds. They at were at odds, odds with, each with other. that. You're supposed to just not. It. You're supposed to experience it. You don't feel anything or whatever, then you don't. But like, you know, you're you supposed think he to just. He would have liked gravity. That's a that's a weird. I don't. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird because uh, it's very it, experiential film. Yeah, it's and weird it's because he liked he liked and... Terminator. So <laughs> so I think he would. I think he I would like gravity. Yeah. No. I, I he like, might. I like experiential. I like the idea of experiential film. The most experiential film I've ever seen was a screening of The Dark Knight. Uh, I was staying in New York for a summer. The summer it came out. And I just happened to get a ticket to go to the like the same screen that they had premiered at mm-hmm. in New York. So I my my recollection of it always is always like it must have been set up really well. It must have been optimized. Like someone probably came in there and really because yeah. you know sometimes yeah. you go to a, an IMAX screen and it's like ah. Oh, it's Nolan, Nolan's right. known for doing that. He's yeah, yeah. especially for his premiere, like yeah. he's going to take care of shit. Yeah. So so I go and it's like Dark Knight is I believe. This might be wrong, but I think it's like the first shot of the film is 35 millimeter and it is the, um, the fire and you see the bat inside the blue fire. Mm. And then the second shot is a skyline shot. It's on IMAX 70. And it's like, I remember thinking it just like the screen just vanished and buildings appeared in front of me. Mm-hmm. It was like... 
oh, they don't need to do 3D. They just need to do way more right. IMAX yeah. right. because yeah. this is better than any 3D I've ever seen. Well, that, that yeah. was my experience with uh, the first time I saw a laser recently. So I think it was Alita that was the first one of the first movies that they did in 3D IMAX laser uh, projection. And that was by far the cleanest image I have ever seen projected on a screen. And especially even wearing the 3D glasses, you're, it's like uber bright. Um, in the beginning of the movie, when it opens, you have the Fox Searchlight logo. And when the logo flashes past the camera, it's literally blinding. It's so bright, even with the glasses. Mm. Like it was, it, it was just a, a crazy amount of detail. Just, yeah. Mm. Well, there's a, there's a, there's, so we could break it up and say, hey, man, there are films that are experiential and there are films that are, we'll call it like narrative or something. Mm. It's like it's mm -hmm. all about the story or it's all about the experience. Fair. And there are some people that are good at mixing the two. Yeah. Mm. But say those are two poles of a spectrum. Um, I, like this is a good film that's like, this is pretty much a story. Yeah. It's not about experience. Well, it's, it's literally a dude telling a story to reporters. Yeah, yeah. pretty yeah. much, yeah. And, and this is like classic <clears throat> American filmmaking, mm -hmm. right? And um, and it's sort of, I, I think of it as being like completely, um, despite the fact that all the, you know, quote unquote, auteur directors that we, we think about mm -hmm. were inspired by like John Ford in particular and all these people. Um, it's a style that's not in vogue at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's interesting to then take that and talk about like, oh, you know, someone like Tarkovsky or Kubrick or someone who's like more accepted as a artistic filmmaker. Yeah. I, I don't, I really hate the upstairs downstairs that exists inside of all of this stuff. And that's why I, I, I've always sort of like been more, uh, I relate more to like the more work blue collar uh, style, like I'm sorry, John Ford. upstairs downstairs. You mean like subtext kind Gatekeeping. of gatekeeping? I mean, like, 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 yes, like stratification of stuff. Yeah, but, like, you know, it's like I mean, and we all have experience being in and around film schools, and it's like yeah. it's a perfect example of like. Let's do it in a wonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They always like, want to do that. Like, why? But they, yeah, they don't understand yeah. why. It's no, like for the no. art of it, usually. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's what they say for the art of it. It's just because it's challenging. It's, be maybe? it's because that's what it's, they think. It, I think it, they th mostly think it's because it's easy and quick. Like these days, you don't think about. Or most of them don't think about lighting at all. Well, yeah, so that's true. And they, they don't even care about yeah. focus. Yeah. <laughs> no, true. no. It's. I I think you might be right. I'm sure but some, you, but, but, yeah. but I always took it as like, oh, it's harder. Like and and yeah. and so it validates but, what I'm putting into this more. That, but that's like handheld. You it's know? not even true though. Right. I mean, right. I mean no. if you want to go into a day and shoot ten shots versus one shot, and you know, like you spent four hours setting up for one shot, mm. and you shoot it twenty times, that's still right. an easier day than shooting like ten good shots. Especially like, for yeah. most of the crew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so sound guys working though. Experience, no, yeah. <laughs> experience versus story. Uh, this is a film that's all story. It's, and, you know, it's, there's a lot of subtext to it if you want to go that route. But if you don't, then you don't have to. You're not, like, required to. There's no required viewing before you watch this. Right. You don't need to, you know. It, I, I hate stories like that where it's like, you know, if you haven't read these books <clears> and totally. you have this worldview, it's like you can't even engage 
in the mm-hmm. story. Yeah. yeah. It's a two hour escapism almost, I think. Um, yeah. But that had, but, but it has something more to it after that. If you choose to think about what you just saw, uh, whereas pure escapism is like, has nothing after it. This yeah. is like the problem yeah. with, I think that's a good point. With, that's Jurassic park. That's, you know, or uh, the Even, Jurassic world. I should yeah, say. Yeah. The, the original Jurassic <laughs> yeah. park actually was pretty fucking right, good. Right. Yeah. It had a lot behind it. It's like the mm. problem. Like I'm a big, I'm a nerd. I'm a, I love comics mm. and anime and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's like, this is the problem for a lot of people who love comics with comic book films and what they've become. Yeah. Is it's so like, superficial. There's, there's, was a character like Superman or something that you got a hundred years of stuff you could just pull from yep. and you have free reign, not a hundred close to it, but just about, but it's like, but, Zod, but man. they're like, no, no. Uh, I, I don't know how they arrive at this place where we were just before the movie, we were talking about Superman and it's like that first Superman was pretty good. So is the yeah. second one. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's is a it, lot there. Is mm-hmm. it possibly to do with, culture and our evolution like you know when superman was really popular and let's say the 40s 50s whatever are we as a people looking for something different you know like there's that sort of idea of like if you look at horror movies and sci-fi they kind of like collectively are reminiscent or reflective of the fears of the culture at that time so is that the same for our heroes as well Mm -hmm. are we looking at heroes differently because of the perspective of the you know, the troubles that we have at any given time? That's a very big question. That's a good question. That's like, in, you know, maybe we, we start at the film we just watched where it's like, all right, who's the, who's the hero of the story, right? We have two distinct um, movie star mm-hmm. heroes, right? right? We got, we got Jimmy Stewart, we got uh, John Wayne. That's right. And they're both heroic in their own way. And they both sort of, uh, facilitate one another like yeah. you, you almost it's like the left symbiotic the left, yeah the left hand and the right hand you can't have one without the mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. um in the end it was sort of like uh it's very much i love stories that take place in the late 19th century the 1890s and stuff like that where uh the end of the western like i'm from arizona so i i'm i, I grew up <laughs> in, of the frontier right and and this whole mindset that people were in where it's like okay um in a way, this this story is about the transition from the Wild West yeah. to the modern West. Civilization mm-hmm. is coming. Exactly. And that and in that story, John Wayne was yeah, the, the top dog. But yeah. now we're moving into this this thing where, where Jimmy the books Stewart, matters, not the gun. Yeah. And so th- I mean, in a way, that's what the story is 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 all about, is mm. that historical moment. And they characterize it through these two people where are we today, right? Well, I mean, to that point, to me, one of the elements that kind of uh, struck me in that is that most of the time in this movie, uh, the Duke's character is wearing a big white hat. Mm. Um, After the murder scene, he switches to a gray hat, which, you know, white hat, black hat, gray hat is always like a common sort of trope in Westerns and movies in general. But, you know, that like, it's almost that physical representation of him just kind of, slipping into that that middle ground of like not necessarily being a hero but kind of you know living life and doing what it takes who do you think um like i think you're absolutely right they're symbiotic and it's tough to even say there's one that's the main character because there's not really and at least in my mind it's my opinion but i think uh what's interesting is they asked john ford this uh who do you think john ford said was the central character probably neither of them Probably John Wayne. Well, no, he did the say, election. 
He said John Wayne. He said John, John Wayne, Wayne yeah. Because, yeah. because it has a little bit of that quality like we had talked about with Third Man where you establish this guy before we see him. Yeah. He's in the, you know, he's, a he's in the car. He's a lot more present you know. than... Uh, well, it all it all hinges better. it all to to argue it from that perspective it everything hinges on what the guy who's going to take the action does yeah, yeah. Mm. the way jimmy stewart's life turns out as a byproduct of what right. this guy decides to do true true and in that way and i mean that's what makes it it's a it's like a great story it's as deep as you want it to be but it doesn't have to be. It's True. like, it's, yeah. And, yeah. And you know who's not, you know who's not the good guy in 2019? Either of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is fair. You yeah. know, yeah. like, why didn't you let the women in? Yeah. As yeah. they were voting. It's like, well, mm. guys, it's like 1890 something or whatever. It's well, like, the um, sheriff with his 30 kids is probably the hero these days. Well, also in 2019. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they were Most of kids. our characters don't yeah, take they were action these days. They like, were? Very passive characters usually and like are kind of like led to action barely to do anything. You Why know? do you think that is? I don't, I think it's, I think it's because, well, I, I have a, I have a theory that, uh, w- like imagine if we made this today, mm. right? We yeah. would just be like, we'd say, okay, we're going to remake. Well, so, so, can I just pause you yeah. for a second? Do you mean tell this story about similar people in 2019 or make the Western? Make, no, make this exact film today. No, you, you, I'll even stop you like you couldn't. <laughs> yeah, no, but imagine if we went you out and we said it. we like could do that. $10. We, we could, yeah, but no, imagine if we We're said we could. We get the starring, money for it. Starring the, the two of the hugest actors in the world, right? So it's like right. Tom Cruise plays one right. and- it's Brad Pitt and Leo. Yeah, okay, I mean it's yeah. still it's still yeah, within okay, the yeah. realm of it's, no. I'm I'm I want to I'm visualizing <laughs> yeah. it as you yeah. go. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. It would not. It would be. It's kind of like making a copy of a copy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So the quality is degrading in the sense that maybe we, as the people who are making it, don't understand all of these elements and layers that are in it. So we're just going to tell the story portion of it. But we're not going to be telling that key thing that it's really like all the different themes within it, all those different layers within it. I think that that's happening a lot. Themes you mean like, um, do you mean like the stuff about, um, how do you, how do you mean it? I mean, the things that exist outside of the literal story beats, I guess, Mm -hmm. is what like, so there's a, we've talked about them. You, I mean, like you even, uh, that it does exist that outside of it where it's like w- old school being overtaken by kind of new school, mm-hmm. so to speak. Oh, I, um, and I think that that's a theme that I, I, so any like reference to history or anything like that, a, a, a modern filmmaker would still hit, but they would probably emotionally come from a different perspective. Chances right. are like, like John Wayne, John Ford, my assumption is, I, I know uh, John Ford in particular had a, like a real um, emotional connection to like the idea of the West mm-hmm. yeah. in a way that I don't think people of our generation really right. have. Yeah, he no. glamorized the sort of freedom yeah. of the, the range. Yeah. And, and maybe, so you would, I mean, it would all come down to the, the people who are creatively in control of it, but, but we're talking about it from like a generic 2019 perspective (laughs) right it would be like no they wouldn't have the 
this all the same story beats, but the themes would be like, it would, you know, you know how they would change it. They would, it would be yeah. like the, what was the black guy's name? Uh, Pompey. 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 Like Pompey and the, what's yeah. the girl's name? Uh, don't remember. H- Haley? Haley, I think. Or would, Haley or would something. Would be elevated. Their, Hallie. their Hallie. position inside the story would be much more mm-hmm. elevated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, their exclusion from voting would be a much bigger more prominent. Deal. Yeah. And as a result, like the, the other characters would, you know, they would become more generic mm. and less like, like, cause when we're thinking about all of the Mexican characters would have had a much larger speaking role. When, when, yeah. we're, when we're looking at like, like Pompey and what's John Wayne's character's name? The Tom, Duke. Tom, oh, Tom, 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 Tom and Pompey. Okay. You're looking at the way they're interacting mm-hmm. and, and you, your 2019 mind starts going, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, call, he calls him boy, like at least once or twice. And, yeah. But you don't see any of the, the, like, the fact that these two are like best friends. Well, and, and seemingly, like, he has no one else. It's like these two guys, for whatever reason, we never were never told. They got paired together. And for me, I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome that he put that in a movie. I'm not seeing like, oh, he called him boy. I'm like, I'm seeing like, that's awesome that these two guys are obviously close. And they're, you may say, well, the, the power dynamic between them is not, they are not even mm-hmm. players in this relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. yeah. But at that time it's it like, was, fucking, yeah. Are you serious? Like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's so awesome that, that, that character was in that movie and he's not a, He's not a caricature. He's like a full-on person. Well, I mean, there were yeah. moments where, like, I I almost got the feeling that, like, they were on the verge of, if this was done today, they would be a couple. Like, there were yeah. a couple of, like, there was a, the moment when he's, get, a, a, after he kills um, uh, whoever Liberty Valance. Liberty Valance, the whole name of the goddamn movie. Um, after he kills Liberty Valance, he's at the bar, and he's getting drunk, and then, um, what's Pope, Pompey, Pompey comes in and he's like, you know, take a drink. Well, he's like, well, after that, he's like, no, come on home, come back home with me. You know, there, there was like this weird sort of loving relationship. Like there was, that felt like the girlfriend role that was being handled there. And Mm -hmm. to me, there was like a much deeper relationship again that just, you know, Either in today's movie, I think, would be it's, much I think more, it's more of like a Frodo and Sam sort of thing. Yeah, you know so I mean? it, it's a, it's obviously yeah, it's like good, you, can, it's you can read into it. Right, right. People know. Yeah. But no, no, what I'm saying is in this movie, it's obviously his intention was deep brotherly love and like, you know, yeah. very, very, you know, camaraderie. But what I'm saying is if this was done again in 2019, that would be a, you know, uh, what gay cowboys eating pudding. <laughs> Oh. Huh? <laughs> right on. Uh, so, so, what? Where do we start? That? <laughs> You're right. It's going to be a tough transition for yeah. me. I'm not quite sure where I go. But I think we need to talk about the, the actual characters and the acting themselves. Let's do that. So yeah. let's talk about uh, John Wayne first off. Um, the Duke. I, I, I do think it's interesting to see the, the stagecoach comparison because I think that the stagecoach characters are very much archetypes yeah. and that I think they've changed a lot. Like the only archetype I really thought was um, the, the Marshall was the comedic guy, the guy who was always the joke. I yeah. did think you were right that like there is, they're just more complex than they used to be. And okay, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but no. I was, well, let me ask you then, like, how did you think that, uh, that John Wayne did? Did he, I mean, make his character more than his usual tough man western guy or was he more complex than uh, usual 
so you have to, I think you have to think of it. So the idea, so trope, the word trope is a trope. <laughs> the word trope gets thrown around like it's a bad thing. Mm. Like it has a, it has a negative connotation. Right, right, so. right. But tropes are not problematic in, uh, right. in, in my mind. In fact, what they are is a shorthand. It's the language of cinema. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Which is why personally I love genre films more mm. than any other yeah set because you can convey you, so much so quickly yes you just get to it yeah. it's like here's what we're doing so in a, in a way john wayne the caricature the trope yeah the is it it is the same character from stagecoach actually if you look at his costume it's almost exactly the same <laughs> yeah, costume yeah, yeah. yeah but but what's changed he's older okay right and the west is not what the west was this is like the way that you know like most filmmakers only have one story in them. I got you. Right? Like John Ford has been telling this Western story for years at this point. And it's really the same story. And he's just hitting it from different angles. Mm. And, and the trope of John Wayne is extended. Like, like I said, people went to that movie to see the Duke, you know, and in that way, they were like, man, the Duke's getting old. He's still badass. (laughs) Yeah. But in the end, history is going to move past him. And that's what this story is all about. But I mean, when he kicks that dude in the face, that was like dancer fucking level of movement there. He might be old, but he's got some moves on him. But, but I mean, but from the story perspective, it's like, we're conscious of the fact that he doesn't make it in the end, Mm. that he's like, this isn't going to work out for him. And all of the guys of that, that, and you know, you probably John Ford's whole history with like World War II and all this stuff, and mm-hmm. that as times were changing in the mm-hmm. '60s, and maybe this is, you know, maybe, maybe he felt that. Yeah, know? no country yeah. for old men, kind of thing. Yeah, I think well, the, the well, I'm sure he, well, I really do want to compare this to the end of the Searchers because it, in Searchers again it was '56, a little earlier, but it's similar in that John Wayne at the end there is like he just kind of leaves, like he kind of like wanders off, and he's just this is not the place for me. I don't fit in, kind of thing. In in this new Western world, I guess. There is the, uh, you know, if comparison to like these types of characters to the, um, to, you know, the Japanese films and the whole samurai genre hmm. of like the wanderer as, oh, an, yeah, as, it's, sure. as its own yeah. archetype. Walk the earth. Um, <laughs> walk the earth, man. <laughs> well, John Carradine is in this movie, ironically. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, John Carradine. Yeah, he is. Where is yeah. who, who is I forget he? who he is, but he's in this movie. Is he one of the rabble rousers? Maybe. I was joking. <laughs> yeah. Now, oh, he's, he's, oh my God. He's Starbuckle, the guy at the end. Oh, oh no boy. way. Wow. Wow. Didn't even Didn't he, he, Yeah, not at all. Wow. Boy. It's crazy. So the, 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 with characterizations and tropes and all this stuff working in a genre, I think that in every aspect, you can make a good argument that they don't just, they do rely on it as a shorthand but they they show some specific side of it yeah. that oh that makes it um like it's just a great way of like you get a whole bunch of information really quick by knowing that this guy's the town drunk you've seen a million town drunks and a million westerns yeah. but now he's slightly more complicated and and now you get all that information plus this thing that makes him really an individual and it all happens really fast and it's all very entertaining you know what's so interesting is you said earlier uh, and I kind of agree with everything you just said, but I think that earlier you said that it's kind of a movie you can watch on your own without watching any other movies. But I think that having that background in the Western genre does help a lot in this movie. Well, this is this yeah. is the this is the um, 
the Joseph Campbell stuff where it's like, <laughs> if you believe it, you know it already. Yeah. It's like, thing. it's in you. You've, as a, as a person, you know, conscious person, you get told stories and you interact with people and you might say that those people follow predict, uh, patterns. And, you know, like, if you believe that kind of stuff, which I don't know, the older I get, the more I feel like I believe it more and more. I used to actually kind of instinctually question it that like we aren't just following patterns yeah but mm-hmm. it's the older i get the more it seems like well, we when, are, when we you're are. young yeah. you haven't seen all the patterns the older you get the more you see then everything just kind of yeah. falls into the same fucking patterns yeah and it's uh i think it's a good uh it's a good uh example of of someone taking something that that could be a negative thing like a trope and turning it and he's it's very very good at it it's like a magician who's doing a magic trick for other magicians Mm -hmm. in a way uh and you know john ford's really good at that like even though we already kind of know what's going to happen it still maintains its level of interest because he's a very good magician you know what i mean well i think the big thing is that again getting back to the idea yeah but getting back to the idea of the trope the the in he's using the trope as a starting point not as the destination so the using that trope to convey a lot of information really quickly and then taking it from there is very different than just throwing a bunch of random tropes into a movie. And I think that is a big, the thing that happens today is that we just use those tropes and as, you know, plugins and Legos to build a movie and then don't go that extra step of, you know, really developing it into a, a springboard for something to actually happen. There's a uh, interesting point to kind of bring some of this stuff together where like um, his style of the, we'll call it the, uh, the the filmmaker's filmmaker. It's all about story. It's all about character uh, versus the experiential filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, you know, nowadays it's like you take someone like, uh, like Christopher Nolan or something like that, and he probably has a combination of the two styles. Like he's, he's very experiential in an action sense in particular, but that experience is always driven at, expanding your your idea of the characters and of the story world. Um, uh, John Ford, it doesn't seem like he does story world expansion. Um, he's, he's using the tropes as and the, the, the genre as a, the point where you don't need to learn about the story world because you already yeah. know about the story world. Instead, it's all about character. And it's like any little moment, like the women and uh, Pompey outside the voting area, um, the little connection to the fact that the, uh, the, the Marshall's family is Mexican. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all of these little things that he puts in there about yeah. like, like this is, this is a complex world and this is like the way, uh, you know, it's probably, I, he doesn't really comment on like, it's, it's good or it's bad. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's like, it's a complicated world. Yeah. Um, but there's no like pure, uh, experiential, moments like um like that you would get in like a ridley scott movie or something ridley always has a couple of beats in there where it's like this is just a pure story world like expand the story world mm. let uh, them understand it i know this is a slight digression have you seen the movie all is lost no you guys know what i'm talking about all is lost nope yeah with uh redford no. do you like that Derek? yeah 
I think it's a is pretty this, good film. Is it the silent one? It's kind of, I mean, there's no dialogue. It's just Robert Redford on a boat, boat the whole yeah, time. Yeah, and it's no. like completely mm-hmm. experiential. Uh, I kind of dug it. I, I just thought maybe you would. That actually sounds pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Well, some, I'm on a boat. Some of that stuff is, uh, it's, it, I like when they combine it. Usually, like my, one of my favorite uh, filmmakers is Mamoru Oshii, who directed uh, the Ghost in the Shell animated film. Mm. And um, he's talked about this idea called Deriva. Like, it's a weird, like, translation of a translation. But essentially what he means is moments and stories that derive from the plot that, like, they, they, not, they, they are tangential to the plot. Uh, like, and he says, uh, action sequence is your most typical example of this sort of thing where the plot stops for a second, you experience an action and you come away mm-hmm. understanding more about like how badass the character is, mm-hmm. or like, this is what the story world is all about. Uh, he does these sort of like anti-action sequences in his films where yeah. it's like, uh, just moments, like some arty kind of stuff yeah. where it's like uh, just like being with a character sort of situation yeah the major floating underwater if you are familiar with Ghost in the Shell for mm-hmm. instance it's just like this android floating underwater with music and you come out of it and she says some profound things and you're like oh okay this is like some she's having some profound thoughts about her place in this story mm-hmm. John Ford doesn't do any of that stuff it's like I, I don't I don't knock him for it but it's yeah. like it's like he's only got so much time yeah. Um, and it's not his, it's not his style. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. you know, more modern filmmakers, I think are more apt to like, it. I'm not, you could call it an indulgence. You could call it, you know, you could go either way with it. Some people I don't think like it, but you know, like someone like Ridley Scott, who is another one I think is like a great filmmaker. He used to be more John Ford and he's gotten more and more like, I need three hours, three <laughs> and a half hours because mm-hmm. And there are great moments, like a good movie of his is uh, Kingdom of Heaven, if you see the director's cut. But if you see the theatrical cut, it's not very good. Mm. But there are, he likes to put lots of little mo- experiential moments. You like the these. director's cut? Yeah. I think, it, I think if you watch the director's, <laughs> it's very long. It's long. Yeah, it's like an inter- <laughs> it has an intermission. It's like, it's really yeah. long. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jim. No, no. Well, I think we got to talk a little bit because we talked a lot about the Duke. We got to talk about Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. So, Tim, as our resident Jimmy Stewart expert. Yes. <laughs> I just named you that. Well, you know, I mean, honestly, the character work in, in this whole film, um, you know, it's it's great, but it's not. It It's it's just, you know, Jimmy Stewart being Jimmy Stewart in this film as this character and the Duke being the Duke in this film as this character. So, they're this both... Is, this, but but that's that's why it's good. No, that is why it's good. Yeah. That's what drives it, you know. But it's like it's but like it's, a, it's a there's no there's no um there's nothing lost at a certain point because it, of I suppose people, so, yeah. Like like because I, I feel like you're saying, ah, it's just them doing the thing they always do, phone it in, whatever. No, but it, they, they didn't phone it in. You know, he really kind of laid it on thick, Jimmy Stewart. Well, to me, this is, I guess, my difference of opinion with the definition between movie star and actor. So to me, an actor or a movie star is someone that is basically playing themselves, themselves like or Brad Pitt. Today. A, yeah, yeah. A, a very, um, you know. Uh, polished version of themselves or this this very like one character in every movie whereas an actor is someone that like you they get lost in that character so when i'm watching 
certain movies, I see Brad Pitt on the screen. But then when I'm watching like uh, I, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like I often forget that he was Philip Seymour Hoffman mm, and true. he gets like lost in that You're character. True. You're not wrong. <laughs> like, but I, I just don't differentiate by money is basically what I. There's, there's a, yeah. there's a, but it's all about the, the place they, they fit inside the, the, culture sure yeah and, 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 and the how, old school system of like the star system mm, you're totally right i mean the money and the, it, the fame was everything and like putting that name on the billboard and putting the butts in seats because of that was yeah. the ultimate goal well, but it's yeah. more it's like more about in this context it's more about what what the culture if you want to what the culture thinks of that person mm-hmm. and the fact that well, we're so divided now too. It's hard to have one person have that much gravitas. That's a good. That's a very interesting point. It's also fair. Yeah. Uh, but like Jimmy Stewart, like if you're, you know, He's I think great. it's all about. This is like this. What this story should have been called is Batman versus Superman. You know, it's like it's like you have two caricatures. Yeah. Th- and and you put them into the the whole story is about the fact that you're putting them in the same story. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. like watch what happens. Yeah, so it's basically, it it yeah. should work. Yeah. Like if you mess it up, it you're it, it's on you. Yeah. Because mm. they both work. People and respond for Jimmy to Stewart, it. it was it was fantastically cast, I think. Yeah. You know? He was just well suited for that character to play him well. It's like putting Batista and Kamal Nanjiani in the same movie. I should have saw that. I don't think it's in theaters anymore. Oh, no, it was yeah, quick. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard it. Was that good? Uh, yeah, it was. It, you know, for what it is, it's it's decent. Um, it's certainly not the best action movie in the world, but compared to everything else that's come out this year, I, I would <laughs> I would uh, I would argue with one point slightly. It's that um, I don't know that Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne were really playing themselves at oh, all. Oh no, no, they, they were. They might have been playing like a character, a specific character. That they, they, yeah, they play a bunch of times, right? Um, but and but the, what you say about an actor versus a movie star? I've spent the last like three months doing a lot of casting around <laughs> town, and let me tell you, like, there's very few film Seymour Hoffman's out there. That, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lot of people who can kind of do a thing, and for whatever reason, when you look at them, you say, "That's what this person this person exists in this world in my head." Mm-hmm. And after that, it's like, can they deliver a line? Yep. Uh, and make me halfway believe it. Yeah. Well, it's it's also just a more efficient way to cast a movie. So if you are looking for talent, it's very difficult to weed that out. But if you're looking for the person that already is this character, then they come in and that's, yeah, that's the right one for the movie. So I see 300 people and I'll see someone that already is that archetype well, that, rather than trying to find a Philip Seymour Hoffman that I can plug into wherever the fuck I need him. That, that craftsman style yeah. actor. Or just like doesn't really <laughs> exist very often. Well, anymore. everyone wants to be a star. Everyone wants to build their brand and be it's, an Insta. Well, there's that. It's not only that though. Like, frankly, it's a talent thing. It's like, or a, a, some people never get that good. Oh yeah. And and there are so few parts. It's like uh, that's why they're no even <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman or Meryl or what's the other one? Everyone's always going to say Daniel uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, they can only do certain parts True. too, um, and and certain things wouldn't be suited to them either. But especially in 2019. But in, yeah. it, especially in 2019. But there is this whole thing with a film like this where it's like um, you utilize it, you utilize what people are bringing mm-hmm. to it in order to make it yeah. work. And and in a way, you know, like a lot of 
because this again this this conversation can get very upstairs downstairs <laughs> very quickly where it's like well movie stars are yeah. shit and yeah. real actors are doing putting are, in the work and right yeah. but at the same time a lot of the great auteur directors have cast people for how they look mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and who they really are and all these sorts of things that we think of as negative when mm-hmm. it's uh when it's Tom Cruise when it or it's Will Smith, the movie, yeah. yeah. But however you get there, it doesn't matter. It's just like, hey, if you can find Philip Seymour Hoffman and and he can do the part amazingly, then great. But like, I had I had I had a thing I was casting recently. We had eleven hundred uh, submissions, <laughs> and there were twenty actors, ten men, ten female who mm-hmm. we who we considered. And of them, there was an obvious choice. <laughs> yeah. You know? Just like, like oh, this person, person is way person. better than yeah, the yeah, other yeah. nine. Whether or not yeah. they actually fit what you need, it's the capability <clears throat> of the, the person. The funnel is very, <laughs> very hard to get through. It's There's like, just a lot more people now, I think, in general that want to be actors. Do you think? I would say so. In, I mean, so compared I to the, is, the whole industry is saturated at this point. Mm. Yes. I don't think anyone ever really. I don't, I don't think most actors really want to be actors. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. They well, want to walk through the, the time. Yeah. At famous. least not in LA. I, I I went to school in London, and that was different. Like the yeah. actor, the mindset there was different. Well, they hire ugly people out there. They don't do that. <laughs> well, I mean. Dude, I've been doing. <laughs> I've been casting. I've been casting commercials for the last couple months, and it's just like the notes that you get back from people. Like you're like, okay, it's 2019. I want to be like somewhat socially responsible. I want to. <laughs> but honestly, like, here's a here's one for you to compare to this film too. It's like, okay, two white male leads. Uh oh. Mm. But you know what the truth is? They're the easiest to find. Yeah. Because yeah. there are more. There are less less people. Yeah, just uh, percentages. Percent exactly right. that are looking for parts, and they mm. have to be looking for parts when you cast. Mm. And it's like uh, at a certain point, it's like, dude, I only have so much time to get this thing done. Yep. And and the only person who can say the words consistently and make <laughs> me believe it is like like I just did a thing where it was like we asked two white actors, and it was like. Like people are coming at me like, so um, diversity? And I'm like, I want them to say the words and believe it. <laughs> because no one else seems to be able to do it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm lucky. I'm in a position where that can't really, that really can't come back at me very hard. Uh, but that's interesting. There's pressure on, on you. Definitely. Uh, I mean... There, you know what? There's not pressure for. Uh, can you cast someone a little less attractive? Uh, the 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 what I hear a lot, relatable mm. and aspirational. Hmm. That's what we're going oh. for. Okay. Aspirational. Does that mean like up and coming? Like we can get them cheap, but they're good. What does that mean? I don't know what that necessarily It's means. a funny combination of words. It's sort of like jumbo shrimp. Yeah. 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 But <laughs> Hollywood's complicated. It is. Uh, it's just money, man. There I mean when you get into that elite level of you know like uh, so like you know John Ford when John Ford is casting he can basically 
probably ask. He can probably at least see whoever he wants. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, when you can get Jimmy Stewart and the Duke in the movie, like, you know, you, there's no limitations. Really. Well, there was that moment, though, when the, the school scene where it was like we had an obvious casting oh. couch, uh, like, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Uh, that's why all the, for, for people, I don't know who's going to end up listening to this, but it's like, all the studios, like all the studios in Los Angeles have hotel, what used to be hotels surrounding them for yeah. a reason. Um, it's for the convenience, <laughs> the gyms. They could yeah. go to the gym. All those visiting actors that yeah. fly in exactly. just for a weekend to shoot their part, right? Mm-hmm. It's this crazy, like it's a crazy thing that once you know that, it's like, and you look around, how you're like, oh, question, like, <laughs> of, yeah, exactly. That this is always how the this stuff has gone. I mean, is kind of. Um, I guess bad as it is to say now, I remember in film school, like half the guys were there for that reason. Like that is the place where you get the chicks. Like you get the money, you get the power, you get the women. Like that was a big draw to becoming a filmmaker. Well, there's a, uh, a uh, <laughs> I, when I was in film school, I remember a funny story where it was Oscar season and, uh, I was running around after some girl, and, but English was her second language. <laughs> and um, we, she she had been hanging. She had, her roommate was a filmmaker, and, like peer of mine. That's how I met her. And uh, it was like she was. We were talking, and she's like, "I don't understand this word." So you help me out. Um, she's like, "I get that. Uh, like best director, I, I get what a director is, and best actor. Okay, but there's this word that everyone is using. And I don't understand what it means." Like filmmaker, <laughs> everyone says, "Oh, what do you do?" I'm a filmmaker. There, why is there not a award for best filmmaker? And I said, "Because it's not a real thing. Mm-hmm. It's something you call yourself to talk to girls like you." Uh, and that <laughs> when is, you don't have a specific job. It's, to your point, yeah. it's like yeah. a, it's a, it. There is an element of that in whatever we end up sure. doing as people. So yeah. There's that, I mean, that's a biology, biologically driven sort of thing that is going to be hard to beat out of us. Um, and I mean, dealing, like I, I do all this social media stuff now and it's like, it's scary how effective it is. Mm. Um, well, 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 not even, not even that stuff, but there's a lot of like, it's funny to compare it, like to be talking about this film and to compare it to <laughs> ads, but it's like social media stuff is like, um, you know, uh, what brand of refrigerator is in the background mm-hmm. of that? You know, you pair mm-hmm. it with that actress yeah. with that makeup and that costume, right. and, and it needs to have that kind of refrigerator and that kind of stove and that kind of countertop right. because the whole package tunes people into like whether or not they're going to buy that product. Like that new Coke commercial. I don't know if you guys have seen this, the new Coke commercial. It's that Ford v. Ferrari movie that's nah. coming out. Yeah. The two of them get in a fight and then they have two bottle, like, bottles of Coke that they like hit together. Mm. And like I'm watching this thing and I'm like, this is just a Coke commercial. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's true. All, yep. like, because the, the, you put that in the trailer. Yep. Like there's no other reason. For that. Well, I wonder, I wonder what it 
Well, no, there there is a character. I mean, it it was a nice little developmental moment, and you could have done that moment without a Coke bottle there. But the Coke bottle there definitely. There's got to be a scene of them arms around each other. Could you have done it without the Coke bottle? I mean, that's true. Share a Coke. Share a Coke, right? Well, it's way deeper than that, though. I mean, when you talk about Coke and you talk about marketing and you talk about like the like white hat, black hat. Exactly. Yeah. Point. It's like though that bottle Mm -hmm. that or. If it wasn't Coke, it might have been something else. Well, I, I just we were we used to not films used to not have to have this right. where there would be the cornflakes box mm-hmm. and there would be the Coke in your scene, and it's like it's fair use. It's right. like that's really what people use. Well, but now change that. we're so tapped into it that. Do like, you think that also this affects westerns? Because I mean, you can't put any of that stuff in a western. Sure, you can. Like, they oh, you can put Colts. Coke? Yeah, you can put Colt, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're, but Daniels, I mean, you're not going to get it. Well, they, they I'm going to give you a good example. Temporarily. Well, I, I will beg to differ in that, like, in the, I want to say, like, 60s, 70s era, mm-hmm. there yeah. was a fashion trend that was based a lot around, like, Western wear and shit. Okay. Yeah. So, like, there is, you know, all of a sudden, boots become fashionable. Gotcha. But I mean, This is like all, like, now. Edward Bernays propaganda stuff. No, that's everything, though. Everything, like, all fashion trends are influenced by the media and what we see on the big screen yeah. you know people see angelina jolie wearing that dress or yeah. having that purse and that's what they want and this this film came out about like five years before the first instance of product placement mm. do you know what that is uh rosemary's baby are you like I'm pretty the, sure really? what, what were, were people buying babies Cal- no, no 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 just people where you just show babies? brand name shit oh, well I, I refuse to watch any polanski movies so i've never oh, okay. rosemary i watched oh. it in film school <laughs> <laughs> like when they pulled a it's box a of cornflakes off the shelf it was actually a box of cornflakes gotcha you're a brand that you would notice you yeah, know? yeah instead of just like cornflakes right on yeah the, uh <laughs> well i think Okay, yeah, but we should move on. Let me just say one quick thing. Okay, I I think that no, never mind. Fuck that. Okay, <laughs> Derek's no, no, giving me the same. No, you nah, can I'm say one thing. Well, I'm really really say your thing. I think Coke is, and if you use product placement in a certain way, it's actually not bad. Like Coke is a very Southern thing. It's a very American thing. So when you use it as a as a symbolism between maybe Ferrari and Ford, mm-hmm. it gives you that Southern, you know. Or you're doing a war movie and you hand a child a Coke. Like, right. you know, <laughs> I think well, it's and certain, it, it is the. They exist yeah. in reality. You know, it's like at a certain point. If it the, says cola on it, it feels weird too. Exactly. At a, yeah. certain, at a certain point, if the, it isn't the brand, it even, it actually seems weird. Totally. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Okay. I noticed that in television these days, some of the cheaper television shows always just have like Heisler be the brand of beer. Yeah. Mm. Or frugal. Uh, let's. Yeah. Potato search, chips. Let's search, let's search, potato chips. Search exactly. frugal. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. what I do like those, the 555 phone numbers in my face. That drives I, me nuts, yeah. man. It makes me feel safe. Oh, I like that. I hate that yeah, so much. I like it. I like it. It's so easy to get yeah. a Google voice number. You can just fucking plug them to a goddamn voice message. It's, it's like and it'll some, be a nice it's like little some Norman Rockwell shit. You know, it's nice. Yeah, it just takes me out. Yeah. I think there's literally a thing, though, about... um like uh, names, phone numbers, yeah, the legality like, of yeah, it, because yeah. like there were lawsuits with people like yeah, actually people calling getting, numbers, getting calls. Well, like yeah. on on uh, name plates, like mm. a person walks into an office in a scene or whatever, and they there's a bunch of name plates. Yeah, I think they have to like write the name in a particular way where it can only be like last name or like first initial. Oh, gotcha. So uh, it's not like a complete person. Yeah, yeah. Right, um, hmm. Well, gentlemen, are you ready? 
you play the most fabulous, wondrous game on the games in the internet? When I find weird numbers and things and look up stuff, and we all try and guess what the guess the gross is. So I'm gonna look up the numbers, and you're gonna guess the numbers, and we're all gonna play the game. And yeah, I'm so we're gonna, gonna guess the gross. Yeah, so let's explain it quickly. You we're really gave 110 percent there, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you just repeated the same thing as over and over. Yeah. But it was good. It was, it was energy. It was energy. <laughs> this was the the difference between story and immersion. I went mm-hmm. for immersion over content. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Good morning, <laughs> both Vietnam. Are, both are know. content, technically. <laughs> yeah. um, content in my content, I should say. But, you know, for those of you that are new to the situation here, we are going to play the most fabulous game on the internet called Guess the Gross. Uh, I am going to give you the title and year and director of a movie, and you're going to tell me what the domestic gross box office product was. Um, was, uh, or is this translated was. to uh, uh, this, 2019 money? This is based no. on uh, no, box all, office we, mojo. We guess in yen. <laughs> <laughs> this is based on box office mojo current domestic gross of the movie. Okay. Um, yeah. So whatever math that they're doing, uh, it does seem to be like re-releases do seem to be in included in that. Okay. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so first up, gentlemen, look closer. In 1999, directed by Sam Mendes, we have American Beauty. Gentlemen, in 1999. did we do this Did one? we do it? You guys probably don't yeah, remember. Yeah, probably, the don't remember but yeah, either, I don't remember. Yeah, okay. this one obviously stars Mr. Kevin Spacey, Creepo McGee himself, yeah. uh, Annette Benning, Thora Birch, West I, I miss Kevin Spacey. I'm going to be I honest. Mean, you know, I, I always loved mm. him. You're canceled, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're canceled. What, Where's what's, that toothy what's, button? Yep. Toothy. Yeah. <laughs> what's he bad in? No, I life. mean, he's a great actor. Okay, yeah, okay. Exactly. Life. 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 K-Pax. Yeah, yeah. yeah life. Yeah, yeah. Everything, Real life. Everything when he's not acting. He's not bad. He's bad. K-Pax is a bad movie. He just wasn't, he wasn't bad. Just, I liked K-Pax. Oh, no, he's a cat in some movie. I, I get that confused with powder. He's <laughs> probably getting yeah. K-Pax and powder. Yeah, they were basically yeah. the same thing. Uh, but gentlemen, uh, what did American Beauty make in 1999? Uh, Joey. 80 million. Joey says $80 million. Derek? $117 million. $117. George? When was this movie released? 99. Um, how much did it cost? It probably cost like what? Like 30? It probably made like 60. You think in 60? All right. 60. And Old Timmer? George has had a better guess than the other two, but you know, we're, 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 we're doing fine as a nation coming out of this Clinton era here, but mm. he's also under investigation. It's uncertain times and mm. people's, you know, people's mm. wallets close up. I'm going to say 50 million. $50 million. Even though we have done this movie before, you guys are way the fuck off. Uh, Derek takes it home. It came in at $130 million. Derek's guess at $117. Best picture. Yeah, Run, yeah. That re-release. Best picture yeah, shit. Yep. Runaway success. Indeed. All right, gentlemen. An adventure as big as life itself. In 2003, directed by Tim Burton, we have Big Fish. Big Fish. 2003, you said? 2003. Oh, Oh, and backtracking just a little bit, just so we're all aware, American Beauty had a budget of uh, $15 million. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. big payoff. Uh, So in 2003, what did Big Fish make? This was Tim Burton 
uh, starring Mr. Johnny Depp, I believe. No, 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 no. no. Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, it was uh, Obi-Wan. Jessica Albert Lang. Finney. Yeah. Uh, Albert Joey, Hill. what did it make? Finney. Finney. Uh, sorry, $65 million. <laughs> $65 million, says Joseph and Timmer. $103. $103 million, says Timmer. George? Um, $150. $150, says George and Derek. One thirty-six. One thirty-six. The box office grand total with uh, Joey almost right on the button here. This was sixty-six point eight million dollars. Wow. Joey's guess of sixty-five takes that one. Key gentlemen. Well, I guess a lot of terrible uh, yeah, at this can, game. Uh, a lot of people did watch American Beauty. That was like a thing. Yeah, that was like yeah. A, it was yeah. a, it was a, a, a rewatch movie. Big, it was a cultural yeah. movie. Yeah, not big, as much. No, although. No. Uh, more it costs more. How much did it cost? Oh, thank you. Uh, the seventy million dollars. Yeah, yeah. hugely. Yeah, mm, lots of yeah. CGI. There's a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of CGI. A lot of big names too. Mm. The fish were really big in it. Fish were huge. Actually, big. that's a lie. Yeah, that's they, what they the were not. A lot of production huge. tales uh, yeah. about them there, too. There Apparently, there was total fish, which is the, the whole point of the movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's what you call a fish. Hey, story. Uh, let people watch uh, it and figure it out, Sean. Spoilers. Yeah, you gentlemen. Was that Tim Burton's last great? movie Ooh. Ooh. no yeah. maybe <laughs> and it was didn't he have the corpse bride or some shit that was okay that was do you uh, think it's the depends money depends on do you okay. think he, do you think they just get maybe. too much money at a certain point i think they're not I think, obsessive i think yeah they they, they just maybe. get too much money and they they like kind of ha- say what they have had to say yeah it's the know? first album problem like you yeah. spend 20 years making your first album and then the second well, album you have a year to make but so also like, i think some people just run out of shit to say it true. at some point or another and i think he did clearly because now he's just kind of doing hobby films yeah yeah spielberg you know? He, he, he yeah. resolved his yeah, issues with his father. I feel like True. Spielberg <laughs> and Tom Hanks just go golfing every once yeah, in a exactly. while. They're like, and isn't life great? Another one. Another one. Another one. And then they both like light up a cigar. Well, historical. At a certain point, the shift into historical yeah. drama yeah. starts yeah. to become yeah. like. Uh, hey, yeah, I saw this fair. documentary. Let's make a movie about that. Yeah. yeah. Speaking well, of Tim history, Burton's just doing shite remakes. Life isn't measured in minutes. It's me- but in moments. Minutes, but moments. Life huh. isn't measured in minutes, but in moments. It's in 2008, directed by David Fincher, we have The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. <laughs> uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping it's something like 40. No. Yeah, I know it's more than that, but I'm is just going to be... 2007? Why, why no, is it not dude. press rewind is not the thing to this one? I, like, I don't get it. Because it probably cost... How much did that movie cost to make? 200? Something probably. Uh, I'll let you know afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got, uh, yeah, 2008. I'm sorry. 2008. 2008. Um, what this day? One, 2000. Well, like what Brad month? Pitt. Um, oh, what month? What release date? God damn it. Oh my God. Um, who cares? Okay. No, it matters. <laughs> Joey, take a guess. December. Uh, December 25th. December. Yeah. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. Yeah. Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. That's Ooh. 2009, pretty much. Tim, how much did it make? On its door. Oh, uh, yeah. $85 million. $85 million, says Timmer and George. Um, I'm going to go for... Way low. Yeah, like 60. $60 million, says George. It's more than that. It has to be. Derek. It costs too much money. 142. 142, says Derek and Joey. I said an even 100. $100 million. 
Uh, this one I am going to have to give to Mr. Derek Laporte. This came in at $127 million with a production budget of $150 million. Yeah, I was going to say, still not a success. Yeah, I don't not think. quite, uh, not quite making the budget there, especially if you consider the budget is usually double when you count advertising. Mm. Gentlemen, life is like a box of chocolates. Mm. You never know what you're going to get. Which one's in this one? In 1994, directed by Robert Zemeckis, we have Forrest Gump. Zemeckis, yeah. My God. Oh, my God. It's actually kind of tough. Yeah. Wait. You know what? I don't tough. think I ever told you that today's theme is movies that are told in flashback form. Oh, yeah. You never <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should have said that during the I don't know opening that, of the game. Well, it's okay. Yeah, it's I'm all right. it somewhere yeah. in there. Maybe. I don't know. No, somewhere. You, you did not. I didn't know. <laughs> I know because I was waiting for my shout out that I didn't get. <laughs> Sorry. Well, uh, Tim suggested joy. To, to try to figure this out, how much did Titanic make? Uh, when it first came out, or maybe like uh, maybe I'm something that <laughs> but it's original four hundred something. I think it's right? a it's like nine hundred maybe okay. something close to a billion. It's because this was another. This is a huge movie. They're different times oh. though. That was don't give it away. Don't give nobody no tips here. Anyways, nobody no tips. Yeah, Some people different. may say five million dollars. They say five right, million dollars. Well, 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 yeah, how much did they make, Derek? Seven hundred million dollars. Derek says seven hundred million dollars for Benjamin Button and Wait, not Benjamin Button Forrest Gump sorry Forrest Gump God that would be a terrible a guess good, I apologize I didn't know my own game uh, Timmer how much did Forrest Gump make alright and uh, fuck 370 million dollars 370 million dollars wow George guess. Mm, I'm gonna go 500 million Jesus. 500 million says George and Joey I did not do anything like this I did 200 200 million dollars you guys are all over the fucking board here but Mr. Tim is going to take it wow it came in at 329 Jeez. million dollars Tim Snow takes that round gentlemen last round <sighs> Believe the Unbelievable in 2012, directed by Ang Ling, we have Life of Pi. Mm. And just uh, for edification, the Forrest Gump budget was $55 million. As a former cinematography student, do I have to uh, abstain? For Life of Pi, because there's no actual cameras used in making of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that a, a, it was like Chris Doyle's thing. He, he had a tirade. He yeah. went on after it won. It's a cartoon. <laughs> uh, oh, and also for edification, Titanic took in $600 million oh, yeah. total domestic gross. Yeah, okay. Oh, wow. If it known that, it would have had to have been way less. Mm. Yeah. So we are still on Life of Pi. Mr. Derek Laporte. $320 million. 320, says Derek Laporte. George. Uh, like maybe like 120. $120 million. Timmer. 222. 222. Joey. Oh my God. I said 88. $88 million. And extremely close. George gets on the board with $124 million. Nice. Finally. Uh, nice. This one is. Uh, Mr. Oh yeah, is that Tim? God, Mr. Derek took this no, one. But I kind wins. of feel like I won because I actually got, you got one. something right. Yeah, you got one right. <laughs> I'm yeah. always wildly accurate. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, this has been the most wondrous, fabulous game on the internet. Call yes, the gross. Thank you for participating in the numbers with the numbers, and you guess the numbers, and I look up the numbers, and we guess the numbers. 
Thank you. Thanks, Sean. That was great. Yeah. That was really great. Okay. Was outro great. was much better. Like outro was incredible. Yeah. We yeah. used numbers. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to move on to the next segment, and it's everyone's least favorite oh. segment. Yeah. Drink time. We're talking about yeah. the sound that everyone makes fun of me for some reason. Piss. It sucks. Anywho. Uh, overall, the sound I thought was much, much better than we're used to, and that's obviously because it's 1962. Mm-hmm. So, like, the dialogue was so clear in this film. The yeah. ADR was pretty good, except for With a few, a mo- <laughs> few moments that Sean pointed out where it was very obvious. Uh, in general, I mean, I don't mind that kind of thing. Sean, did that bug you? Always. Yeah? Yeah. Is it just because it sounds too good to be true? No, it's just when it changes. So when we go to the over the shoulder shot and like, I usually won't notice that the jaw isn't moving until I hear the change in the sound quality. Yeah. So when we have a completely different sound, like we are in the same shot and we have uh, uh, the Duke saying a line and then he says another line right after that without changing camera, without changing anything else. And it is a completely different sounding room that that line is coming from. I find this so often in a lot of shitty, sorry, not sh- shitty films. This movie is amazing movies. You mean like movie. it chapter two? Well, the thing is, it's usually exposition, right? Mm. It's at the end of a fucking yes, shot. And they're like, something. Yep. oh, maybe someone's not going to get this. Yeah. So we're going to throw in a line. You're my father and I love you. Just always bugs me. <laughs> Anyways, does that bother you, uh, George? I, uh, See, it's funny. You guys, we paused it at a certain point. You guys clocked a ADR line that I, I, I didn't even notice it as yeah. I was watching it. But after it's pointed out, it's like, oh, it's quite obvious. Yeah. Um, it, it is tough with with older films and the the sound. It's not. It's a quality, not like how good or bad. It's just like literally like what things sound like. Yeah. Um, ironically, I just went to a. Uh, a taping of Fuller House last night. <laughs> a friend of mine just uh, just she wrote one of the episodes. Oh, awesome. a very, very big accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was interesting to see the way that they record sound on those um, before wireless, mm. right? Yeah. And we're in a similar situation watching sound, this big film. Sound stages. They're doing or, the big Fisher booms. Yeah, it's just these enormous things that you never see anymore. Except uh, on the Saturday Night Live when they go into the the right before the commercial, they'll do like the crowd shot and you'll see the big sound booms in there yeah. and the guy twirling the dials and shit. It's and fun. At this point, I, I feel like 62, it's like people had gotten, they had figured it out pretty yeah. much. And it's like, uh, and you're probably even frankly dealing with actors who are easy to record in comparison to like the performance style. I mean, you well, know, they, we, they're not doing the mumble core. You're absolutely right. <laughs> These are old school actors who are projecting. They're, yeah. they're, you know, they're from that era. But it's still not like uh, stage projecting. It is like that it toned is. down movie yeah. projecting, but it is still projecting for microphones, not the back of the room. But well, I like did, Lee Marvin, Lee Marvin's voice, the first time it comes on screen, it's like, mm, oh man, this is our bad guy. Yeah. It's like, it's I very, did, very noticeable. I did notice the presence, actually, as you said, Sean. There was that distinct EQ uh, boost that was, like, way clearer for the dialogue, even though he was wearing a mask, mm-hmm. which I didn't care. I don't care. You don't have to fucking muffle no, the voice yeah. if you have a mask on. Okay, You know, so, uh, Spider-Man oh, I didn't even to think of that. Yeah, they, they could have muffled the voice. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Would be great. I was born in darkness. Uh, what'd you guys think of the music, Derek? What'd you think of the music in this movie? Uh, it's good. It's good. Anything special? I mean, um, there was music. Like, like we said that uh, like, there's a, there's a little bit of John Williams in there. I agree. Okay, I agree for the the main theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had another one that that he kind of took a, a 
little bit from. I really dug the music in this movie. Yeah. I, it, uh, I should say it's by Cyril Mockridge. I thought it was a really nice mix. Like it didn't overpower any of the dialogue. It was kind of subtle in certain moments. Um, there was a really nice theme from the desert rose, the cactus flower that they kept playing. So it was a really nice kind of light motif that was recurring in, in a thematic way, you know, to kind of underscore different moments of the movie. I don't the know. cantina you, music too was great. You know, the other uh, film I was thinking about bringing was El Cid. Have you ever seen that? No. Uh I I don't I haven't seen a good copy of it, which is a bummer. It's like another um uh you might can you look it up real quick? The uh I forget the composer's name. You'll know you know who it is. Oh, okay. Um but it's like it's a fantastic score. Oh yeah. Uh it's the guy who did the score for Ben Hur, I think. Oh, um, um shoot, I think I'm gonna want to say Max Steiner, but I don't know. That's not that's not it. Uh Miklos Roses. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's Charlton Heston and Sophia Loren. Mm-hmm. No, I, I just brought up the composer. Is... And... Yeah, Sophia Loren. But it's this epic. It's like a Crusades movie. Um, but this, it's one of the best scores I've ever heard. Um, and I, I I liked this. I liked this one too. Um, but at the same time, it like I think you put it well. It's like it wasn't in your face. It wasn't like you weren't really thinking about like oh, music's really good. Yeah, certain movies, it's necessary. I think for this one, especially when you have great performances by great actors, I think it kind of cheapens up some of the performances. If you have a lot of strings, like underneath an emotional Mm, moment, it's a little bit cheesy. So Um, I liked how they kind of, well, it depends. It it depends how they play it. I mean, I I think if it's subtle enough, it was nice. Everything can be too ham-fisted. For sure. Yeah. Well, it's like a big performance style. It's like Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne, and we are dealing with tropes and all this kind of stuff. and. Uh, sometimes I, I don't know personally I like a big uh, like a big score you like I, a, a non-diegetic big yeah, yeah. like uh, but but hey, this maybe gets into that whole conversation we're having about experiential versus mm-hmm. like uh, narrative or something where it's uh, like uh, like Hans Zimmer my favorite Hans Zimmer score is uh, Last Samurai okay interesting um, and it's like oh man it's great but there are all these moments throughout that film where the, you're, the score is really allowed to take over and just like take you through story world. Mm. And uh, there are no moments like that in this. They, you know, there's like, there's some little like diegetic moments where it's like they get out of the the stagecoach and they're at the capital city. And the, there's like- uh, There's only one I can think of. I'm going to be honest. When they when he, they look and they show that shot of the cactus flower. Yeah. Mm. And they're just looking at like the backyard and the cactus flower mm-hmm. is blooming. And they do have a little bit of that- melody but i wanted to say that moment because i like what you say i'm with you i agree with i love those big scores i love because i like melody and i think a lot of the times with the Hans zimmer stuff nowadays it gets lost it's mm. funny though is there a john ford film that has a really big score that's you the searchers is pretty big i mean but not because the but the searchers is like way more uh it's, it's not really it's, though. It's it's funny though because like from a from a from how did they make this perspective from this structure and all that uh this film is very tight. It's like it's almost like there's no room for it. Yeah. Mm. Um except in the opening which is where you get the main, the main theme. Right. Um something like uh The Searchers, you know, like the most famous shot in The Searchers is a non-dialogue moment. It's like the dude standing in the doorway. Um uh, and you know there there are ma- big landscapes and people going through through the through the wilderness and all this kind of stuff. All these things like this film is uh, could almost be a play. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. like scene, 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 scene. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I agree. 
Um, I thought the music did a good job of keeping that momentum too. There was some good transition stuff, like when they went to flashbacks, you know, some of that glissando up and down with the the strings, just giving you, you know, the doo 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 you know, the Wayne's World. Is that Wayne's World? Yeah. Yeah, it was Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, you, when you change the, you know, the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the the background sound was really great. Like overall, like the mix was really great. Yeah. There's a lot of detail in this mix that we're not Other used than to. like the, the fucking dialogue being way under the sound effects. and Yeah. Well, that was the dynamic was, range yeah. in this was a little yeah. nuts. I think I'm going to blame that on just like the release of it, I guess. Well, yeah. The mix for the, <laughs> the uh, 5.1 versus your TV speakers yeah. and stuff. It's always difficult to figure out like what you're going to mix that for. Cause you can really only put one mix on the distribution. But I thought they did a really nice job of some of the sound effects. I wanted to just point out a couple. Uh, when they were in the kitchen and, um, and uh, sorry, Jimmy Stewart's talking with uh, H- Hallie and they're kind of get this like tension between them. We have this like sizzle from the bacon right on the frying mm. pan, right between them. Mm. And it's really nice because it's only when we have that kind of like 50-50 shot on them. And then as soon as they break up, that sizzle goes away. You think what? they use the sound of rain for that? Oh, maybe. <laughs> the, the bacon is the yeah. reverse. <laughs> to the, That's to, an inside sound joke. <laughs> to the point we were talking about earlier with the, um, uh, what was it? Like, what is the the theme? What is the story really all about from a from a, a thematic standpoint? And this transformation of the West and uh, one man replacing the other sort of mm. thing. One thing I noticed was the, the sound of the train in the yeah. first scene where it's totally. like, the train is like the other symbol mm. of modernity, right? And it's oh, it's like interrupting everything with the dialogue between um, the old marshal and uh, what's her name, uh, Hallie. Yeah, when she's mm. having they're having a lot of piece of dialogue. And they went right to it when they showed the stagecoach with all the cobwebs on it. Yeah. I thought there was such a, it was a great moment because we're hearing the bell and the, the from the train still echoing from that opening shot. It goes through a long time, that bell. And actually was bothering the shit out of me perfectly. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. Just but because I, of the mix, though. It was real. And, I, and it added this kind of timing and the rhythm to the scene. It almost added tension, almost like a Hans Zimmer ticking, you mm. know, in like a Dunkirk. I thought it was really great. And then it, and then you're right. It had that kind of the train whistle in the background juxtaposed. Oh, I hate using that word. Uh, drink with the, drink. <laughs> with the stagecoach. So we do have the, the the two modernity stuff there. Uh I also want to say something was great was the foley. The the footsteps were really great in this. I know that mm. sounds really lame, no, but that's... like it adds a lot when you hear just the shuffle from John Wayne's footsteps, mm-hmm. you know, the of the, the the dirt on the floor. You know, you can really hear it a lot clearer in this movie. And it really adds a lot of to these silent moments, which are, are really kind of empty in some of the earlier films because well, they don't big have that. showdown too yeah. yep. with all mm-hmm. the especially a western show showdown in town on wooden planks yeah starts to become like very iconic yep. um I, I like the sound of the whip that was kind of cool yeah but it was bothering me that we didn't get those sounds of him <laughs> it sounds so stupid uh, of him like grabbing the whip like him handling it we, we kind of lost those we only heard the crack of the whip oh, the, the crunch mm. of the yeah, leather want, being like, squeezed yeah he was kind of like fondling yeah. it a little bit and i kind of yeah. wanted to f- like hear that but it was like, like a wooden of handle there wouldn't have been in much. I wanted some leather. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, okay. Joey, like you should go back and add that. There you go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Like, just mix. that, just <laughs> yeah. that. That would like really that, change the tone of that. I think whole so. Because like I it, think the tension would just. Like, it, I got a whole BDSM vibe from it, which totally. I was, I was probably projecting. You know, <laughs> but, I, mean, <laughs> I was projecting <laughs> on it, so, you know. 
one more final thing I want to say is that they actually have some really cool pans. Um, when we, when one of the times when we introduced to uh, Liberty Valance, when he comes in actually to the vote, when they're voting in the saloon, yeah. we hear his stagecoach come mm. in and we hear it pan really well from left to right or right, I even forget yeah. right to right, right to left, but it's not a lot. They don't use it very often, but when you're meant to focus on something outside of the screen and they pan it, it focuses you. And I really love that because it's like, here is Liberty's entrance and you don't have to really know much more than we're hearing this mm -hmm. stagecoach go from right to left. Okay. Sorry for nerding out. I apologize for that. That's um, yeah, the point of this, yeah I guess yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. But I feel so guilty because so they always leave. You're Anyways, welcome. Yeah, no, we just <laughs> leave. Back to the back podcast. To the, back to the podcast. Um, yeah. I love Jesus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is that what you wanted? No. Yeah. No. Okay. Wait. What, what is that? It doesn't matter now. Oh, well, it's neither of those. We're yeah. incredibly we professional should, uh, people. I have something prepared for casting it today. If you guys have something prepared, if we were to cast it today, who do you gentlemen think should be uh, Stoddard? So that's Jimmy Stewart's character. Who is the modern day Who's Jimmy Ransom? Stewart? Yeah. The, 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 so what what factors do we have to take into account? Like like the fact it that be, it has to be someone who has to play old and young, or they do in BFX. You can go any which way you want. You can even go funny with this mm -hmm. if can I you go want. Will Smith, like really? just based on Actually? charisma alone, like you know the and you know he's got that new Gemini movie where he plays young and old, and they do the whole motion capture thing. So he's gonna pull that one off. But I it, mainly I'm just thinking. Because I recently saw the uh, the new um, Men in Black movie, and it has just become painfully apparent that the original Men in Black is really only good because of Will Smith. Like, his charisma just kind of carries that whole movie through. Mm. Without him in that role, the whole movie just kind of, like, falls apart. So, yeah, I think that, you know, to me that Jimmy Stewart is, like, synonymous with just charisma that lovable dude that you just want to spend two hours with yeah yeah okay the Derek, <clears throat> oh sorry george you go no please <laughs> I, I was gonna go to Derek. so who um, gives a shit with Derek? i um well no i was just gonna go tom hanks according to our research that's a very that's very tom hanks is always the safe right. answer i mean it's mr rogers answer. for christ all right all right, all right all right i could go through my whole because i have a whole ensemble that i have let's do it let's hear it yeah yeah, yeah. so tom hanks is stoddard okay of course tom hardy as tom delon so tom hardy playing mm. the john wayne part but with like donovan. an older person wig uh, uh tom delon taylor swift tom is as as <laughs> Haley. Taylor, Taylor Swift. And she's going to for this thing now. Taylor Swift as who? As no, she's Hallie? going to be in that Cats movie. So okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I can see that. Because yeah. we all saw that's going to be awesome. Uh, this is going to be a fucking tragedy. <laughs> Jesus the, Christ. The Rock is Pompey. Oh fuck! I was thinking that too. Yeah, and Patrick Stewart is Liberty Valance. Where? What? What <laughs> fucking movie are you making over there, man? This is, it's got layers. It's got layers. Stewart, jeez. Got to be some big and, and like honking, a, you know, hulking villain. No, because like Liberty Valance would be like uh, Thomas Hayden Church. He was good in Green Room. He well, he just scary. looked like Thomas Hayden Church. I don't know that Thomas Hayden Church is actually the right role. I feel like Thomas Hayden Church could handle that he, role quite well. You he know, could do it. It's the same I, he did actually, in Tombstone. The, but the Lee Marvin part is the hardest. I think, yeah, yeah, because it it's like yeah. man, that first scene in particular. He's actually very like frightening he's mm, like yeah. it's a very intense scene especially for something made in 1962 yeah it's like it's a very he's very violent yeah 
And there are not a lot of actors who um, mm. immediately- Christian Bale? No, come to mind as like mm. having that sort Russell of- Russell He's also- Oh, mm. he just died, but he, Powers Booth. Mm. Uh, Powers also, Booth might've been a good Duke. I mean, he played him in the tombstone. He played a- Powers <laughs> Booth doesn't <laughs> like- he's, He wasn't really oh, much of a- Powers Booth. Yeah, no, Powers Booth was- uh, Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah. He was the the brothel owner in Deadwood, yeah. and he was also in Tombstone. But I think you're right about Lee Marvin, about that physical mm. violence. The way he threw those two chairs in that one scene mm. was so, like, natural. Yeah. It was just like, fuck these chairs. <laughs> you could tell he was filled with rage. I mean, yeah. very I think every way. time probably he went to the commissary, he's doing that shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he clearly <laughs> had a lot of practice yeah. doing he, that. He's he, like, he just took the it, it, and it like, it, like, forced out of his way. Like, it was... Yeah. Yeah, it was some Jedi shit there. I'd go for the, uh, I'd go for, I, the Australian actors. Basically, it's like uh, uh, the modern version of this movie would be like way darker. I imagine. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so it's gonna be like, I well, there's the Bens. You can always go for the Bens. That's true. Okay. It's Mendelssohn and Foster, although Foster's not Australian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll let it slide. Yeah, I think like I think. Ben Mendelsohn could be like um, either the drunk, the print, uh, print the, dude, the print or, guy, or the doctor, um, yeah. or the doctor. Actually, I, 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 don't, I, I don't always like the fact that people always use him in those secondary roles um, because he's he's a very good yeah. actor. Did and you could see? Probably do. Did you see? Uh, uh, Miss Buck. What's that gambling movie he was in? Mississippi Grind. Mm. Uh, no. Mm. Yes. Either way, I don't know. Sorry to interrupt your thought. No. We got sidetracked because it smells like burning, but it's probably just my neighbors burning their dinner. Sweet. Oh, okay. Uh, Hopefully. We might steak. all die, though, too. So, yeah, I would really like a burnt steak Throw right a now, thick so. one. Throw yeah. a thick one. Yeah. Um, throw a thick one on for me. Uh, <laughs> Meat and potatoes, baby. What's Pilgrim. his name? Uh, I'm Tom Hardy's great. Tom yeah. Hardy, like, yeah. okay, so you cast the film a little oh, younger. Yeah. You go, Tom Hardy plays Lee Marvin. Yeah. Okay. You That's do, nice. uh, like... Uh, Sweet, well, we do the, the we do the mask over and <laughs> <laughs> they they would definitely yeah. sound team for that man. Yeah, yeah. they definitely muddle it. Yeah, uh, who played his that, younger brother? Edgerton's. Uh, oh, okay. okay. I want uh, Toby Maguire as yeah. the guy that keeps eating the lollipops. <laughs> okay. Can I just say one thing? What the fuck would Lee Van Cleef? You got Lee Van Cleef in a movie, and we didn't hear him say like one no, no, line no. of dialogue. No, no, wait. He was not the Lee Van Cleef yet. This I was, guess this was yeah. this was well before Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. <sighs> he's That's another ten doing, plus yeah, years. Yeah, he's yeah, doing right. bit parts in these in like westerns. He's like in I don't know. He's Just even he was, he's even doing TV westerns. I think at this time. Hmm. So all right, fine. Wasn't discovered. He yet. was in a movie. So you know we should be happy. He's a John Ford. Movies, that's something. something. Yeah, no, no. Uh, this conversation though just brings us back to the same point of like, they wouldn't make this movie today. No, that's more the thing. Yeah, (laughs) it's impossible. They would, they would not do it. No. Uh, Uh, Any other casting it today? Any other characters? No, there's. It's too like it's too hard because it's like they just like you start thinking through like uh, who would play the uh, Pompey and be like, "Mm." Vin Diesel. Uh, yeah, but you're, they'd be like, well, you know, uh, it's like when you said the rock, it's like, uh, uh you think a, uh, you think, uh, he's not going to take it. Yeah. He, well, also he w- he wouldn't take it anyway. Yeah. Of course. And it's not. That, that was kind of the joke is like yeah. these, 
these guys accepting these things. I was in uh, classic Derek joke. Yeah, <laughs> I, I no, I remember I was in film school and uh, uh, and one guy was like casting his short film for his short short student film, and he had like a side part that he wanted to try and get Robin Williams for, and it was like. Okay, so you're going to get Robin Williams to be in a short student film, uh, and he's not going to be the lead. He's going to be like uh, <laughs> a bit part. It's like the South Park episode with uh, George Clooney playing the, the barking dog. dog. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. 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 Although the only instance I can think of that is when Danny DeVito is on Always Sunny. Yeah. Like the fact that he even just went on that fucking show is crazy. While, we're kind yeah. of, while I'm he thinking about really, this, do, kind of do you, can you guys- Danny DeVito? Can you guys think oh, yeah. of other instances in which actors this big, like two actors this big, were in a film together? Hobbs and Shaw. No. Just oh, no. <laughs> I guess Once that's upon a time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. man. Once upon a time in Hollywood, there was one in the 70s I'm looking for. Does anybody uh, remember Cannonball it? Run? All the President's Men. Mm. Oh, All the President's Men's not a bad call. The Expendables. That's not a bad one. It's a good call. Oceans bad. eight through twelve. I yeah, know. I guess I'll just say it. Uh, the Towering actually. Inferno. Nope. Uh, Only twelve. Inferno. The Towering Inferno had Newman and uh, Steve McQueen mm. oh, at yeah, the yeah, height yeah, yeah. of both of their power. Um, it's funny because if you look at the poster of that movie, uh, one of their names is above the other one. But then, but basically, they they had a conversation about this. Like one of them's on the left-hand side and he's like yeah even though mine's lower people read from the left first so they'll think i'm the lead in this whereas the other one was like mm -hmm. oh from the top mine's the highest name i'm going to be the lead and even they're, they're they're like on both sides of this the of the picture right and paul newman's head is just a little tiny bit above steve mcqueen's <laughs> Uh, and it's like this whole, <laughs> this whole ridiculous it's thing that happened. I hear this all the time, uh, also because of the West Wing. A lot of the actors were like, "Hey, I want more screen time in the opening credits, or I want to be listed first. Yeah. Uh, just to bring it back to this movie, who do you think got top billing in this movie, guys? John Wayne. Yeah, Wayne. John no, Wayne. It was Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Really? really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. But in the film itself, Wayne's screen card appears first. Hmm. I don't know. The studio specified that Wayne's name appear before Stewart's on theater marquees, reportedly at Ford's request. Well, he was... That's weird. It's yeah. Like crazy. He was in stuff. the... Yeah. yeah. The right. reason John Wayne was in the film was because the studio requested it, right? Well, I think John Ford also... Um, maybe I'm wrong. I thought John Ford requested it. Maybe I'm wrong. Because I thought John Ford was like, we need him in the movie, but I'm wrong. Okay. Either way, I think it's really interesting, the relationship that we didn't quite talk about it, but John Ford was extremely antagonistic to his actors in this film. Yes. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you guys did. I just did a quick little well, I thought notably reading. he was mm -hmm. more antagonistic towards John Wayne. Because right. I, was, I was actually trying to look up what the beef was between them, and I couldn't find anything. Well, he was needling him supposedly about the fact that he didn't go to... Oh, the army in World War II. Yeah. So Jimmy Stewart was a bomber pilot. Um, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, John so Ford was like literally in the Battle of Midway shooting it. Yeah. So he would be like, hey, what did you do during World War II? And, and, and it's a big thing of coward. You know, he was really mm -hmm. ashamed, John Wayne. Yeah. Because everyone went to World War II except for him. So he, I think that was like a big thing on set. Is that Even he, Elvis. Even Elvis. Even Although he kind Elvis. Of, what do you mean? He had a black belt and he was like the head of the FBI or something? Yeah, black belt. <laughs> yeah, he's, totally. he's karate yeah. chopping there, isn't yeah. it? Yesterday's Steven Seagal. Totally. It's, it's interesting though, this like this whole uh, post-war, or not post-war, the, the the greatest generation, right? This whole generation. Yeah, the It makers. was interesting because uh, when I went to film school, 
where I was. We were in like right in the middle of London. And I, you know, I'm from Arizona, man. Like, like most of the cities <laughs> in Arizona, even if they existed before 1900, like <laughs> yeah. they sure. didn't really get built up to the seventies. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, mall towns. Yeah. And there's a whole thing of like, man, I had no idea like to conceptualize what that general, like what that a 500 was. year old building. Yeah. Or the <laughs> fact that people lived in the tube and mm. during world war two. And it was like, that's like, I can't imagine like having this crazy war right where you right, right in the middle of town. And as Americans, I know we're kind of, yeah, like, we are very mm -hmm. sheltered in that respect. Mm. Uh, but this whole thing about, uh, you know, uh, this is all like uh, very male. <laughs> that is it, John Ford. Right? John, it's all very male. And it's like, uh, maybe it's like, tell the story that you know how to talk about kind of thing. It's, yeah. a, it's a very right you know. good piece of advice frequently. But um, it's interesting to have this conversation in 2019 because a lot of times people might look at a story like this and say like, especially nowadays, like, ah, who cares? Like, Why? Why? Why do they say? Why that? Why do they say that? Uh, it's just I think it's just politics have changed. Mm -hmm. It's like not. It's not seen as a valid point of view very often. There's a very specific political bent in this movie. Like we literally go into a classroom scene where we're talking about the revolution and talking about the building of the country and the the uh, the uh, uh, declaration of independence. Yeah. I mean, you know, there. It, this is a very specific sort of patriotic look at the building of America, which is really juxtaposed to the entire media position in 2019. Like we now look at the beginning of America as genocide and keeping down certain races and sexes and all sorts of other things. We have come to uh, disparage our beginnings rather than glorify them as a societal norm. Well, it's like, um, what is it? Uh, the whole, the, if you were going to sum, summarize the story thematically, it'd be like, it's all about like, you have to uh, uh, follow the law. Uh, it's all about I ideals, you know, follow your ideals, but at the end of the day, you might have to shoot somebody. Right. Yep. Uh, and there needs to be someone to do both those things. Yeah. That's kind of like... What, what it all comes down but to. But that's also like the founding of our country is like the, the you know, the agreements and the compromises that were made were all based on those ideas. Well, for sure. But, but that's the, that's the irony of like the conversation we were having before about like, if you were to cast this day, like we almost can't even think yeah. how you would make this movie today because fundamentally it's about this, the, that fact that, you know what? Sometimes your idealism is not going to work and you have to kill somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's like. It's a very World War II mentality. Yeah. It's, it's saying mm -hmm. pacifism is not a legitimate um, well, philosophical. Absolute. Up to a point. Pa absolute yeah. pacifism. Well, it's yeah. like, it's like, what are you going to martyr yourself on the street for no reason? That's the guy. I mean, that's essentially Jimmy Stewart when he walks into right. that fight. Yeah. It's like, uh, why is he doing that? Like, the, he's going to lose. Like, yeah. there's no. At the end of the day, someone else has to intervene and say, like, I'm going to resolve this situation using violence. And because that is the only, at a certain point, you're right, it's very World War II. It's like, at a certain point, 
there is a line, this guy crossed the line, and that's going to be the end of it. I mean, it's presented as yeah. the moral well, choice. And, well, but, he, but they even criticize him for it. It's like, you, you, he, he shot him with a rifle. You yeah. know, like he didn't, he didn't, it wasn't like a squared. Totally. Um, he just shot him. Right. Um, the unfairest of fights. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, but I can deal with that. Yeah. It's like. <sighs> but that's why he switches to the gray hat. It's very, yeah. but which is great. You know, it's like, it's great. It's like it's, it's like a story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah beginning, the middle, and the end. Oh my God. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the, the camera and the look of this movie, but I think it's a great transition because we can talk about the costumes. This was by Edith Head, obviously super mm. famous Edith Head. But I think the costumes the were- building? On... <laughs> The building? Yeah. We use the building all the time. Drop off point. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the thing is, I think the costumes were really great because they really represented the characters really well. Um, I really love the fact that every- like. Uh, uh, down to earth character had a single breasted suit until the end when we met that shitty lawyer. Oh wow! Uh, and he had, he had like, a double breasted. He had like yeah. All these ornate. Yeah. Yep. And it was the, just, the guy with the fake paper. Yeah, yeah. that was funny. But that even just great. the hats, the color of the hats, as you said, the, to the overall outfits, everything was so on point. Even though they might have been a little bit tropey, I know you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it anymore. No, <laughs> but yeah, it totally was, and I, I think that uh, it added a lot to the to the look of the film. Yeah, and each, as far as wardrobe was concerned, I mean, each character was virtually represented through their wardrobe and, like, where they were in the story. So there were points where the Duke was, like, tattered and torn and, like, you know, muddy and gross. And then there was the point where, like, he duded himself out and he was, you know, coming with the the desert rose to woo the woman and he was looking all pimp and sharp. And so, like, you know, and then back again at the end of the movie when he does that, like, nice little lounge on the chair or on the stairs that's like a, uh, I don't know, like some sort of Marlboro commercial or something where he just, like, kicks back in the most, like, nonchalant, masculine, lean on the stairs thing you can do. But he's, like, you know, all torn up and, you know, kind of um, the, his wardrobe, again, represents, like, who he is as a character. Um, to continue with that, what did you think of the movie's look overall and the way it was shot? And all um, Honestly, the most striking thing to me is just the lighting in this movie, um, just because it is, like, so very high-key. And um, there's a couple of moments where he does go into, like, almost some shadow noir stuff, but that doesn't really happen till the end when we have, like, the creepy characters kind of lurching around before the gunfight. But before that, everything is almost like, you know, that's, it's it's almost sitcom-y, but there's just enough shadows to make it feel fairly realistic. So it doesn't feel like overly, um, you know, it, it doesn't feel odd or out of place, but everything is visible. And to me, that was, it, it's obviously a very deliberate choice. But again, if we were to make it today, I think we'd be dealing with, you know, some Christopher Nolan shit where you like can't see half the screen because it's so dark to be lightly sympathetic to their, like what they were dealing with. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's very hard for me to totally, uh, you know, get outside of like uh, the what fact it takes that to do it. Arc lights <laughs> yeah. are hard. To <laughs> deal with. Um, and, 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 and frankly, the format, um, you know, that old Kodak or whatever they were shooting on, like the closest I've shot to it is the 5222, the mm. black and white negative. Mm. It's like five stops of latitude yep. if you're yeah. lucky. Yeah. And it's like, I tried shooting a short on that stuff that was done more in the style of a still photographer. Mm. So I was like lighting with like modern aesthetics, mm. big soft lights, all this kind of stuff really subtle backlights it doesn't just, work yeah totally it just off. doesn't it just doesn't yeah. work huh. um and 
you're watching this and it's like, there are certain things like you're like, oh, double shadows and like everything's got a shadow on it. And like you're you're standing and they they bothered to to do a scene where they, you know, they they put the lamp in. They always make sure like the lamp's yeah. in the shot. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the lamp's not doing that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like yeah. that's like the sun inside yeah, exactly. that room. But all that being said, forgetting about like its place and like how diegetic is the lighting. Yeah. To, it's not Barry Lyndon, obviously. Right. <laughs> mm. But it is um it it is all like uh it's, it's not good. inappropriate. It's, yeah, it's yeah. just good. It's like it's fun. It's solid. There's there and they and you see them trying a couple of things. Mm-hmm. There's a couple, I mean, the the be, the most interesting cinematography and lighting is all of the stuff on the street that the mm-hmm. night that um yep. yeah, he does shot. the shootout. There's right. that there's a beat before the so and the most interesting sequence is the return to the um the the flashback inside the flashback because the whole thing's a flashback. Oh, then the now, smoke. Tom? Yeah, the, the, from the, Tom's perspective, from the smoke to the um, the camera wipe mm-hmm. with when he he blacks out the frame and they go back to it. Like wait, so yeah, very interesting, right? You see you see the same thing repeated but from a second point of view. There's the moment where he lights the cigarette and they did a lighting gag on his face. That was really cool. The timing was, was a little off. There was one moment, just because you said cigarette, it triggered me. Uh, there was one moment where the Duke was about to light a cigarette, and or he did light a cigarette, but there's one shot where he takes the cigarette out of the pack. The next shot, the cigarette is backwards. You can clearly see the filter facing forward. And then the next shot, the cigarette lit uh, is lighting, and it's facing the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just uh, obviously... Uh, continuity shouldn't matter that much, but it's one of those things that just kind of really stuck out to me. Again, like the EDR stuff. I'm yeah. always, I, I'm, I feel really lucky. I'm always just lost. I'm so oblivious to most of that stuff. That's lighting, good. lighting things. Even you know, at a certain point, uh, I, I, I got taught originally that's like uh, that continuity was very important. Then I, I actually learned cinematography, and I was like, oh. Mood. The vibe, <laughs> yep. the vibe it just has to stay. It's really, it's actually, it's uh, it's sort of funny because all of the other departments on a crew have to be much more careful than the cinematographer has to be. Yeah. Despite the fact that the cinematographer gets like all the glory a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the most, they're the one crew position that people kind of understand what they do. Mm. Uh but I mean, you know, lighting just is going yeah. all over the place. You can flip a key, and as long as it yeah. feels the same, no one's going to care. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and that, but that scene, that that sequence, it's like, uh, it's really interesting. Like, what is night, right? Like, <laughs> like especially in a black and white film. Yeah. Uh, we have to with a lantern. Yes, we're going to differentiate between into because I've I've had because I'm from Arizona and went to <laughs> film school in Arizona. I've done these. I've had these. I'm not on the scale. Are you only allowed to make westerns in an Arizona film? <laughs> no, but, but you know, you end up wanting to. Totally. They give you like three horses with your package. It, it, you, yeah. you write for what you have available to you. So if all you have available is endless desert, then you're going to write movies that take place in endless desert, well, I assume. The, but there's also like a something else to it. It's like a, if you play an instrument or a, like a, if you play in a band or something, at the end of the day, you just want to play the blues. Oh, you're speaking my language. You know, you know I, mean, I just know? said this in my last, last podcast. Like, you, you know, you're like doing like some like prog thing and it's super complicated and you're switching time signatures all over the place. And you're like, yeah, but we just play the blues. And it would be like, it would That's be, why I love Westerns. You know, the Western to me, that- The that, blues of cinema? It is. It's like, you just, 
you can always just go back to it and you're like, yeah, but it's always the same. But yeah, it's always pretty good. Yeah. It's like uh, comfort always, food. You can always tweak it though. You can always make it your own. You yeah. just change a couple notes and it's uh, it's special. And they, you know, they were playing with it. They're uh but but mostly you don't think about it because that's not John Ford's game. He's mm. not trying to like win any fans by having a cool shot. Yeah. Well, another thing George had brought up during the movie was the fact that there is very little coverage in this. So there's a lot of wide shots. There's a lot of two shots, but like, it's very rare that we punch in for over the shoulders and close ups. Like they just kind of let everything play out in these sort of this world that, you know, kind of, it, it like intellectually, it seems the opposite of the way most people are taught these days. And that if we really mm -hmm. want to be in with these characters, we got to be intimate with them. We got to see into their faces and into their eyes. But like, just kind of letting the camera sit back and breathe almost makes it more intimate in that like we're in this room with them and we're kind of like the third person here, not just, you know, passively observing, but we're actually like part of it. Well, he really saves it. He really saves it for like, you saves know, the like, close. Yeah. He really, yeah. he, or, and, or any, you know, a stylized shot or whatever. It's like, most of the film is, uh, there's a lot of comedy for instance, yeah. right? There's a lot of like, um uh so let's let's take it from the from the top. It's like you're going through and the you you arrive on the train and it's all it's all your classic the train coming into town in a western. Uh you meet the characters, you have this sort of like uh our first real emotional moment is a mystery. It's mm -hmm. like when oh, yeah, yeah. when she starts to cry. Yep. Yeah, and it's sure. like, what is, what's, uh, she do you want to go to the desert? Uh, yeah. How'd you know I wanted to go here? So, yeah. yeah. And, and, but they, and so they never take us in close or anything. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think it's probably a, something about like, oh, what that is not a, that moment is, would be misinterpreted by mm -hmm. a lot of people where it's like his intention was to probably show the relationship between those two people, yep. but, but not. So Someone doing it today would go to an ECU of the tear rolling down the cheek or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you have to be watching that other guy the whole yep. time mm -hmm. because now you understand that they're, oh, they're really old friends. Like they really know each other. Um, why is that? Right. Um, and, and it's really, and when, whenever I think there, if he didn't see a point to something, he was not going to do it. Hmm. I, and it's like a lot of the, a lot of the dialogue scenes you see this in where it's like, there'll be three or four characters having dialogue and it's like the camera just is like hold, holding a three shot or something on all of them. And there's no coverage. There's no reverses. People literally turn their back to the camera mm -hmm. and deliver lines. And it's like, there's no coverage of it. Well, that school scene mm -hmm. shot, the school scene, like 90% of it is the back of Jimmy Stewart's head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, yeah. why, why didn't they do that? And he's like, why would we, what? who cares? Yeah. You know, well, it's like about you, his impact on them. Yeah, not, I like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's about this, those students and, yeah. and what they were getting out of the class. And and that's the thing that is probably the coolest about watching John Ford films is that I think he was making decisions all the way through, mm -hmm. and it, he was very comfortable in his decisions. And sometimes his decisions were probably like. I want to go home early today. <laughs> and I think that's a completely legitimate reason that's to how do something. Eastwood runs his set. In the <laughs> but, it, but it's like the stylistically it manifests itself in like he, his decisions were, I think maybe different than people would make today where it's like, there's so many close-ups nowadays. Like we use so many close-ups. Yeah. It's kind of like, 
killing close-ups. Like mm-hmm. they don't have yeah. the, the the weight that they used to have when most of your film was done in a medium. Um, well, something that was pointed out to me, I might've brought it up on the show re- uh, before, but um, the idea of, I think today's younger filmmakers are used to absorbing media in a different way than we are as well. So we grew up going to movie theaters. That's not exactly the way that most people are taking movies in. They're watching it on a phone or a laptop, in which case when you do want to show someone close, you kind of have to do an extreme close up and you have to fill that phone with their entire face. Whereas when you do that same shot on an IMAX screen, it feels like the monster is going to fucking eat your head, but it's just Brad Pitt chewing on some fucking Cheerios or something. It, mm-hmm. It's true. It's like, uh, but there, there's probably some new language that is uh, developing. Certainly. developing. Yeah. Just uh, like jump language cuts. always evolves. So yeah. There's a, uh, but watching this kind of stuff, uh, I, you know, for the place I see it, it's to bring up the monster movies is, is in monster movies mm. where um, it's a, you know, a giant thing and a normal sized person mm-hmm. have a shot reverse sure, from sure. one another where they're framed the same size kills it. Yep. It's just yeah. like the scale is gone. The gravity mm-hmm. of all of right. it is gone. Um, it, to boil it down to something more simple, like this film is, it's like, uh, you know, if we were constantly cutting to cutting the whole pace of the film would be different. Right. All these, uh, r- maybe the relationships might've felt different. Yeah. You, know, but, you know, especially if we're we're having all these shots that are two shots, three shots. Um, I think there's a lot of great silences and then and, and scenes that need to breathe. Well, and there and then and he does have those, like the John Wayne lighting his cigarette, yeah. um, seeing something by himself. Uh, there are there aren't a lot of them, but there are a handful throughout where you see someone thinking. That's basically what that always is. That's the My, difference between waiting to talk and, you know, actually listening to other actors. And I think that is part of that magic that plays out in those wider shots versus the close-up. Because when you go and shoot the close-up on someone, they are literally just waiting for their time to say their lines. So you get a lot less of that playback uh, or that back and forth, I should say. Even if the other actor is just on the other side of the camera, mm-hmm. it's not the same as like being in that space with that other actor. Mm-hmm. Derek, um, is there one shot in this movie that kind of jumps out of you that you liked a lot? Um... Not really like a single individual shot necessarily. I like those sequences that they, like that that end sequence. I think it's fascinating to me that it's not in the center of the road. Okay. You know, like we're used to oh. kind of that, it, it always yeah. being there. Yeah, and being on the boardwalk instead of, yeah. Yeah, like off, kind of off to the side and it kind of works better that way. It's in my visually opinion. more interesting. It's much more interesting. Yeah. Um, I also like the, I did like that part too, where, um, when the, when the newspaper man comes back inside and the guys are waiting on him, yeah. that one kind of successfully worked oh, when yeah. the lights the, come up. Yeah. Again, outside of the arc light being just way <clears throat> overpowering for what <laughs> yes. that lantern should be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to, my, my favorite was the, the scene with the steak where they're, where they're eating and, and, uh, and he trips him. 
it was like some, you know, John Hughes bullshit, but mm. it turned immediately into some serious stuff because mm. John Wayne gets up and there's just tension in the room and it's just played out, like you said, in that wide shot. Like mm -hmm. there's no cutting. We can see um, Jimmy Stewart pick up the steak and slam it down on the table. Mm -hmm. It was clear like he really was into it. Yep. And I think that's the, when Jimmy Stewart's the best. Is in when the he, fumble, he like drops the steak, but he yeah. stays in it. There was another time he fucked up with the light. Like I yep. think that fell off the top of the yep. lantern and he just went with it. And that yep. was when he was the best. The, I think the Jimmy Stewart, when he's like in these close-ups where he's doing almost a Jimmy Stewart impression a little bit uh it, that's not where I he's great at that but it's not where I like him the best I like him where he's just like that natural in yeah. the moment reacting to all these other actors and I think you're right playing in the wide allows you to really kind of see that stuff mm -hmm. the, the uh I I'm not someone who who really remembers shots very often actually uh I think uh it's rare that you get, it's not still photography. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? At a certain point. It shouldn't be, hopefully. It, it's like, uh, I'm, you, you know, but there are, there are people, there are some people who are really good at like having a shot. But the moment that, a couple of the moments that I remember best, I think have shots associated with them, but maybe I'm just remembering it wrong. Is, well, I think, I think Lee, Lee Marvin is like, my, I think the most important person mm -hmm. in the whole thing. It was the titular it, role. No, it's a great, it's a great, uh, <laughs> You know, it's just his presence. Child but there's a close-up of his eyes under the mask mm. or with the mask on in the beginning that I think, like, is really good, mm. if I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think there's yeah. one. Um, but then, yeah, the Duke smoking. And then the bit where he tries to kill himself mm. uh, when he burns the house down. Uh, when he's, yeah, he, yeah, like, I'm just sitting, sits yeah. in the chair and the house is on fire around him. But honestly, I think it's, in general, better when you don't, remember or specifically latch on to a specific shot. Okay. I do think that the cinematography should be um, helping the story, not distracting from the story. And when a shot becomes about the shot, when it becomes about how beautiful this is and you're sitting there admiring the camera work, now you're taken out of the movie and you're not doing your job because you're distracting the audience from the actual vision of the director. I, I agree to an extent. I think it depends on the shot. I mean, but um, I do. You can be beautiful, but you don't have to call attention to yourself. Yeah, I think actually does a great job in this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I did notice again. I keep saying the searchers. I apologize, but it did. There's a lot of frame within a frame stuff, especially at the end mm -hmm. with John Wayne when he's kind of sultering away from when he does uh, light the shit on fire. It's very similar to the way he kind of salters away at the end of the searchers as he walks out of the frame. So it kind of reminded me of those two things. One, one he's in the surgery, he's like walking away. And in this one, he's fucking burning down his past, you know, burning the bridges. Um, but I want to talk about something we kind of talked about it quickly, but the, the color, right? This is obviously black and white. Yeah. Um, it's a choice. Tom, John Ford made that choice, for, I think, for practical reasons, but I think also maybe for a little bit of artistic reasons. So, well, yeah. Tim, well, what everything after like 37 is a choice. Yeah. Well, but. I think that Paramount supposedly didn't have a lot of money. And mm -hmm. I think that it was like a cheaper film yeah. stock for them. Yeah. Tim, did you think that it um, you lost something without the color? Or do you think it was better with black and white? No, it was better with black and white because like the, the film wouldn't be the film without the actors being the actors they were. But they're portraying characters that are like drastically younger than they were. Oh, yeah. And so black and white is a much more forgiving yeah. aesthetic. If you're trying to de-age somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the real reason that it happened, uh, if I read correctly, is, uh, <laughs> is uh, um, 
Uh, Paramount was just trying to cut costs. Oh, really? Yeah, I think John Ford had to do a fair amount of lobbying to oh, get this to get picture made. Right yeah. Um, and so there were, you know, it was some give and take there. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think it distracts at all. I think it's no, it no. Works very it makes well. it it makes it more classic. True. In when my I, opinion, when I think of westerns, I I think of two like black and white westerns and color westerns, and they're yeah. they're very they're almost like different to me. Yeah, yeah. they uh, are. Yeah, there's a like I I one of the films I grew up loving was Tombstone from yes. the nineties. <laughs> Um, it's like a, it, it's a, it's an interesting story about like the fact that Kurt Russell was really the director. Yeah, absolutely. They, they hid it for years. Yes, yeah. all this kind of stuff. But uh, the to to me, the like the it's like a modern color western, right? And then there's mm-hmm. like color westerns that are still of the era of black and white westerns. Josie and Wales and shit. It's mm-hmm. like it's like uh, the Searchers is really the one, and that, that one because of the snow and all these things that people don't necessarily associate with the western genre. Mm. It's a very, it's one that you remember the color, mm. but mostly for or besides like sunset shots. There's a lot of sunset. Yeah, <laughs> you. I I think of westerns as being a black and white. Well, kind even of if it isn't color, it's usually pretty drab. I mean, it's all like earth tones and mud and dirt. Well, especially and the, like the desert. especially the the modern ones. Yeah. Like, I mean, you think of like Westworld or Deadwood or things like that, yeah, where it's sepia. like, yeah, it's essentially sepia. Like, even there's a know, there's yeah. like a generational shift on that though, where like, uh, what was the one uh, Rio Bravo? Yeah, Rio Bravo is like technicolor. It's, it's like yeah. super bright. Super, everyone's got a crazy color mm-hmm. on. Was that um, the one that was shot with? Oh, I always forget if it's cinema, Cinescope or Vistavision. The fucking contraption where you shoot three cameras and do I three projectors. Know. Right on. Uh, black and white though. It's like very. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It feels like appropriate for westerns of that era. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this movie seems to be a lot of looking back. You know, it is. It's nostalgic, but not quite nostalgic. You know, it's looking back, but it's saying kind of you got to deal with the transition of the of killing the past. Well, yeah, just like most sci-fi is not you know surface level of what it is. Like this is you know an allegory for the time that it's in. So it's you know it's what you- it's just the same way we make movies today. We're taking these stories and putting our current sensibilities on them. If that same movie, like if the technology existed in 1890 to make that movie as a contemporary movie, I think the sensibilities would have been much, much different. Do you think, and this is a stupid idea, do you think that it would be cool if they did all the modern footage, not the modern footage, you know, before all the flashback stuff in black and white and everything else in color? Would okay. that be? Uh, Wizard of Oz? It? Yeah, kind of that kind of thing. That gets, I mean, that's you, catchy. Yeah, you got to be really skillful to pull it off. Like Wizard yeah. of Oz pulls it, it works, off. But, it works for that tone of story. This tone of story, it wouldn't work for it. You know, It'd be really off-putting. It's funny. I was on the drive over here. I had brought other films to watch just in case that we didn't, couldn't watch this one. Uh, and Wizard of Oz was one of them. And I was thinking about that, like uh, that that transitional moment. Like, why why is color to and black and white mix? like kind of kitschy mm-hmm. um, oftentimes because there's a there, you know, like they design it in such a way that there's a reason for the black and white or the color mm-hmm. or both. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and wizard of Oz in a way, wizard of Oz just was way too good. <laughs> like it just got, it just like killed it for everyone else that ever sure. tried to do it. Even, uh, even Spielberg, which was probably that lat, the, the next most successful usage of a mix was the the red dress in Schindler's oh, List? Oh yeah, 
guy got a lot of shit for yeah. that. You know, uh, I mean, he got a lot of shit for making that movie in True. general, but it's like, what are you going to do? Are you really, you're going to mix color and black and white? Like, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that becomes iconic. Yeah. Uh, but those are like the only two times you can think of it where it's like, that's, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it works. It's like yeah. people don't find it. There's the kind of ripoff in, in the matrix of that with the woman in the red dress. It's not exactly black and white, but it's essentially black and white because everyone's just wearing black and white suits. That's, that's what you're saying. That's an awesome movie. Have you rewatched that movie lately? <laughs> I, I saw the re-release uh, in IMAX. I, I didn't think it held up quite uh, as well. I've actually never seen any of the Matrix movies. Jesus fuck. You just watch the first one. Yeah, just watch the first one. The first one's yeah, good. Watch, watch the movie. Animatrix also. Uh, I've never seen that. That's worth it. Mm-hmm. Right on. Uh, but yeah, black and white was awesome. It still <laughs> feels appropriate. The The... My my opinion, the greatest modern Western is the Proposition. Oh, I was going to mention that because you were talking about Australia. I was mm-hmm. like, that's, that's such a great that's Australian good. Western. Uh, at that, that does the drab thing you're talking about. So, so it's an interesting kind of experiment, and a lot of the stuff has to plays into it. Like, what would it be like in 2019? Hmm. It definitely wouldn't mm-hmm. be in black and white. Um, didn't what, did, what was that name of that film that was in per, Persian or? That was that took place. Uh, they shot it here, but it was all about the girl walks home alone at night. Uh, yeah, no, which was kind of a western. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting though. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, speaking of good movies, we're gonna move on to our next game. Oh, break this <gasps> tension up. Okay. It's called. It's called. Guess the Oscar picks for now. You can't even hit your own goddamn. I know. I can't get the timing right. Okay, guys. So we're gonna guess the four most important categories from 1962, or the movies from 1962. Here we go. Best actor. We got Jack Lemmon, Days of Wine and Roses. Marcello Mastroianni, Divorce Italian Style. Peter O'Toole, Lawrence of Arabia. Gregory Peck, To Kill a Mockingbird, or Burt Lancaster. Birdman of Alcatraz. Mm. I'm going on tool. All right, Sean says O'Toole. George. It's either that or Burt Lancaster, I think. I think it's Burt Lancaster. Lancaster. I think it's Lancaster. Derek? I'll go pick since other people. I'm going to say Peter O'Toole. The answer, Derek gets it, Gregory Peck. Fuck, that was going to be my other guess. It's uh, it's Grapes of Wrath, right? Not Grapes of Wrath. No, Mockingbird. Mockingbird, yeah, Yeah, of course. Atticus Finch. Right. I worked with a guy that did porn under the name Peter O'Toole. It's a good, oh. good name. Mm. No, it's one of them double intenders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just got it. I just hey, got it. I just got it. Go. Go. Uh, yeah. If you get it, email or well, yeah. tweet at Sean. Also, yeah. donate to the Patreon yeah. for also a the good, Patreon. good joke like that. Yeah. Yeah. He was a big keep cinema coming. fan. Wasn't a keep joke. He's a real dude. He was so in the fucking Flintstones parody Sean will make up other friends. Yeah, Years. he'll make up more friends to have. Yeah, I, I don't, for money. It's a real guy. Yeah, sure. He was a grip. He's from yep. Canada. <laughs> Is he from Canada? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, from the he, Niagara Falls area. We wouldn't probably wouldn't know him. I, oh, <laughs> best actress. <laughs> we got Geraldine Page. I've got his business card. <laughs> Best Actress, Geraldine Page, Sweet Bird of Youth, Lee Remick, Days of Wine and Roses, Catherine Hepburn, Long Day's Journey into Night, Anne Bancroft, The Miracle Worker, or Betty Davis, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Betty Davis, I'm uh, going. Betty. Anne Bancroft. Hepburn. No. 
The answer is Anne Bancroft. It's the miracle worker. Wow. I didn't know that. Mm. Good for her. Mm -hmm. She's married to Mel Brooks or was? Am I right? It sounds right. Okay. I'll look it up later. Yeah. Not in the middle of your fucking game. I thought I could do it real quick. No, you can't do it Best director, Arthur Penn for The Miracle Worker, Robert Mulligan, To Kill a Mockingbird, Pietro Germi, Divorce Italian Style, David Lean, Lawrence of Arabia, or Frank Perry, David and Lisa. I'm going to take a mulligan. It's pretty funny. David Lean. I'm going to go Lean as well. Yeah, also Lean. The answer's Lean. Mm. Lawrence of Arabia. Come on. And now we go to Best Picture. Best Picture. The Music Man. Mutiny on the Bounty, To Kill a Mockingbird, Lawrence of Arabia, The Longest Day. Tequila Mockingbird. Tequila yeah. Mockingbird. Yeah. Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. Guess what? Derek takes this game. Yeah. yeah. It's Lawrence of Arabia. He cheated. He knew we were doing 1962. He looked it all up before we fucking did the nope. game. He did. I nope. watched him. Yep. I watched him today. Nope. Work. Nope. Uh, nope. Nope. Okay. It's called Guess the Oscar Picks. Um, I love Jesus. Okay. So <laughs> now we're going to move on to our next segment, which is just miscellaneous and errata. So if we got any other bullshit we want to talk about, now's the time, gentlemen. Anyone got any uh, extras? I really want a fucking steak after watching that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those steaks were enormous. Yeah. Also, yeah. Yeah. It's a steak or Dude, really. two of them. Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love wow. that dude, the fucking Marshall. He's fantastic. He's, he yeah. was he was yeah. in Stagecoach yeah, he was too, in stagecoach. and he was great in that too. Yep, similar um, character. But yeah. he, well, he always played the same character. Yeah, he was character. also his voice is very familiar as Friar Tuck yep. Yep. from Robin Hood <gasps> yep. animated. Yeah. One. I wasn't on that episode. Yeah, oh. the animated, oh, the one, animated one, not the yeah. oh the, the uh, oh, wow, yeah. the animated he, one. Yeah, he's, he's the voice of Friar Tuck. No, yes, yeah. he absolutely is. I, yeah. I can think of this now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. What a you, great fucking version of that. You know what's crazy is like I didn't realize that the the I think it was in the seventies that Robin Hood was made, like seventy four yeah. or something. It's a lot older than I, you remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Most it's of, a lot younger than I remember. Oh, really? I, I feel, because I felt like when I watched that, I don't feel like it's any, I don't feel like it's so much newer than like Snow White, which is true. 40s. Well, that's or the thing about Disney is that it's timeless. Another another thing about Disney though is before uh, video, they would re-release their movies every you know five ten years or whatever. The so, music like, yeah. dates it though. Yeah. Oh, that's the one thing. That sounds like some 70s music. It's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'll give you yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. It's like it's like the same way that uh, the stuff from the, the what's his name, Alan Menken? The guy that did all the, the stuff in the 90s. Mm. Uh, it okay. all sounds like the 90s. Right. It's yeah. also got a little bit more of like just a more melancholy tone to it. It does. Than like, yeah. you know, Cinderella's and, mm. you know, the more classic Disney's. Yeah. Have you guys done an animated film yet? No. We should. Yeah, we should oh, do yeah. Snow White. We should. Maybe we'll do some. Maybe. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, get invited to guess. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, the uh, ending train ride really fucking um, bumped me because it didn't bump. 
Um, it felt like the Willy Wonka um, oh, yeah. uh, driving the boat through the goddamn scary tunnel thing. Just There's because no the, yeah, the, they were doing like rear it's projection a in a uh, uh, in a train coach. But the shot of the rear projection looked like it was a camera tripod mounted directly to a train. So the background image was jumping and bumping and bouncing everywhere. And then the people in the train were fucking still is a calm pond. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was ridiculous. Like they needed a grip to just kind of it's, bump I up mean, against the train car. That's super common for the time. I mean, think of any two shot in a car from that era. Usually there's a little bit of fucking movement or a little bit of bump, bumping and grinding going along with oh. that. Like we've all done enough poor man's process to know you get the fat guy to fucking jump on the bumper of the car. Like fair, it is a, fair. you know, fairly common thing to do. And to me, that was like either they needed to somehow stabilize that back shot a little bit. Or get a fat guy to jump on a train. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Had plenty of fat guys. Yeah. Um, You definitely want to play the game. How many times does he say the pilgrim? Oh, God, yeah. Drink drink every time he says pilgrim. We tried to count, and I stopped at 13 myself. (laughs) Um, And that was early. That was early on. Did you count that? What? Did you really count? Every time he would say it, me and Derek would sign the number to each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking it's around 21. Okay. 21. Sounds, I, 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 there. I think yeah. that's conservative. Yeah. I think it's 30. Bro, fucking close. Yeah, I, I, would, I, would say, I would say 35 <laughs> or up. I'd say 35 plus. Honest to goodness. You might be right. I, I think uh, I George. Mean, he says pilgrim about as many times as fucking Tony Montana says fuck. It's like his. Um, He's like, bro, it, it's, bro, it's, bro, yeah. bro, bro, pilgrim, pilgrim, pilgrim. I did yeah. like that they kept calling him dude. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I that did was Lee Marvin. That. So that was Liberty Valance, was like, you're my dude, but then pilgrim is almost insulting in some kind of well, way. Well, dude, dude is actually more insulting in that context historically. That's true. Because you're dude, right. dude carried an entirely different connotation yeah, in ranch. that era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, what is a dude? It's like a cowboy. So dude. A dude Fancy, is, a, is uh, a poser or or someone who's like usually a, someone from the east uh, that is a like dandy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, someone, yeah, uh, an asshole, chump. Gotcha. Yeah, a okay. punk ass. <laughs> <laughs> you um, know. Did you guys have anything else? Any other errata? Errata. Beer's not drinking. Beer's not drinking? Beer's not yeah, drinking. Beer's not not drinking. <laughs> the bar's closed. I just want a beer. Beer's not drinking. <laughs> no, it's not. Back to school with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Cast it today would have been, uh, he would have been perfect as Mark Hamill. Yeah. <laughs> we were thinking that the whole movie. Mm. Something we didn't really talk about is the ending. Because it gets a lot of flack for being anticlimactic. Because mm. we get, you know, mm. we get the main climax I of think- the shot. I mean, I know it's, the, well, it's a structure. Like if, yeah, but it's a if you look at well, like if you look at John Ford's other movies that he's done, like all of his other westerns, like they're much more grand and sweeping, you know, and like a lot of exterior shots. This whole thing was shot pretty much on a soundstage, mm. um, and it was like, like you know, one could suppose that he was taking a much more gritty, like real life view of like a more minute okay. examination of the humanity there, and so like that might be the reason that he chose to not give it some big Hollywood climax because that's not life, you know? I think I it's it. structural. Uh, whenever they made the decision to have a story structure that was a, built on a flashback mm-hmm. with uh, the, the the title, The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance, yeah. cu- coupled with the fact that you know John Wayne dies right in the beginning, mm-hmm. coupled with the fact that, uh, you know, like we we know what's going to happen 
yeah. when we start. Yeah. When you get into a situation where that is your story structure, uh, unless you have some weird twist, yeah, like some Rashomon twist, it's like you're not you you're gonna you're get your experience is different than it is with a. So I I don't know why people would fight an ending anticlimactic. It's like yeah, it's a it's a it's yeah. a character well, I, study. Yeah. I think like I, and what Joey I think might have been pointing to is like the fact that it's on the sidewalk instead of in the middle of the street. You the know? shootout? Yeah. Or like aspects of that. Or am I oh, I, going I, off I, I thought as far as ending we were talking about like the train ride and like him being Because like exactly, exactly. it's and, not the end. That's not the end. No. That's like the middle. No, it's the beginning of the day anymore. Or like, you know. It's the beginning of Act 3. Yeah. There's a um, it's like a, there's it's an interesting point though where it's like are there structural elements that will impede the flow of your story and how people will respond to it? And right. At a certain yeah. point, they're, they're like, it's like a, uh, what's the example? Can you think of a, uh, a horror film with a voiceover? Hmm. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. At, at the end or the beginning? At, at, at all. Yeah. It's rare. <sighs> yeah. Well, because, voiceover and I have a whole huge rant against, I hate voiceover. Well, but, 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 yeah. but part of the genre of horror is, you know, that mystery that like not being informed as to what's exactly, going on. Exactly. Exactly. It's almost like, I don't know that you could even do it because it would kill the, the suspense and yeah. the horror. If there's someone speaking to you, like they know what's happening. Plus there's also a comforting element of that. Like yeah. if you're trying to build tension and then like someone's, you know, kind of walking you through things, there's almost like that sort of podcast friend element of like, you know, just kind of being walked through your day. There's a, to me, it's all, it's all comes back to anime because I love anime and <laughs> okay. it's like anime is all about the voiceover. Okay. It's like to the point where they call it, they have these bits where characters are monologuing. And it's just like a picture of someone like looking scared and they're like talking uh, about like what they're thinking the whole time. But that's like almost more, uh, more um, I guess, derivative of like written literature rather than yeah. m movies. So like, you know, it's almost like a um, comic book style of like, you know, getting the inner dialogue of people and like getting more inside of them, which I, I don't know works outside of anime because they have yeah. like developed that as their language essentially. Well, anime's comic book style cinema. Totally, yeah. But like to, you know, to freeze frame on an actual person Not and then go inducted. into their inner monologue is, yeah, definitely a different feeling than but a cartoon version. Those, those um, tropes, those structures, the languages or it's not really a language so much as it's a grammar, I suppose. Mm. And it's like there we we you could argue that, but there are there's a, a form that we operate outside of that is bigger than the, any one film. And it's hard to um, completely deconstruct that and have to recreate it every time. Mm. So certain things are just baked in, I think, at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Like how you're emotional response is going to go inside a story like this. Anticlimactic is a bad word because it's like, what did you want? <laughs> you I think know? that's true. Like, yeah. like that's what that, that's how that kind of thing works. This is not M. Night Shyamalan. It's not that movie. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I was thinking of the Game of Thrones where Tyrion says. That's anticlimactic. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I think, you know what? I think it's more like poorly executed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it had yeah. been the same thing. But people had felt like they were on yeah. the the path with the characters more. Yeah, um, they the same ending could have 
No one earned it. Yeah. It was just like, oh, it was just, yeah. okay. It was a list of things. Yeah. Yes. That's true. I actually wasn't thinking that. That's, that's a really good insight. I was more thinking of, of a specific line in Game of Thrones where Tyrion says that the history of man is made by usually two people talking in a room. Mm. You know, you think of Game of Thrones, you think of dragons and, yeah. you know, and boobies and whatever yeah. the fuck. But and it really is just two people talking in, in really good dialogue. And I thought that at the end of this movie, it was like that. It was like history is made by groups of men in the middle of a room, you know, talking really loudly at each other. Mm. And uh, and I, I think that's one, it's a good perspective and a good, you know, message. But it, in practical terms, I just thought it was, it was long-winded. It was just maybe, and maybe that's the point, but just, again, maybe I'm, I'm speaking too soon here but I think maybe just was a little bit too much at the end that's all mm. I wish it kind of just sped up a little anyway. mm. okay uh, sorry about that one let's move on uh, Derek I mean what do you got I've got so I got one review um, that was like a, a negative review that mm. was maybe a little bit interesting or had some parts that are interesting um, we'll find out if it's interesting yeah we'll uh, tell you yeah you guys <laughs> tell me so Edward Carter oh on uh, the 9th of January 2010, logged on to IMDb. Mm. And Historic. Gave, Your fault, Mr. Carter. You, gave, IMDb reviews. Yeah. Not, not okay. Yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> we usually do uh, IMDb. Just to see what the people think. The, the, the plebs, you know, the, the commons. The, yeah. Yeah. The proletariat. Yeah, Derek's real tuned into the Vox popular. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, uh, one star out of 10. An ancient cast in the most overrated Western ever. Uh, this film should have been filmed in Technicolor in Monument Valley with Anthony Perkins as Rance and Steve McQueen as Donovan. <laughs> Not on crappy, <clears throat> fake-looking soundstage in Hollywood with a much too old John Wayne and James Stewart. Both Wayne and Stewart were ridiculously old, in capitals, uh, for their parts, but then everyone in the town in far too old ah is mm -hmm. that makes sense typo. Oh, is I'll yeah, go typos. back uh edward go back and change that please thanks uh even the virginal uh actually it's virginial looks like virginial yeah uh young girl is played by a 30 something vera miles too old virginal and a uh yeah no but he puts virginial um, anyway, maybe she isn't from no one can see the screen, Derek. I don't know. I can see the screen. That's why exactly. I, re I reiterated We're blame it. You. All right, I said it twice. I reiterated it. Right? Derek's Do illiterate. you need Jimmy Stewart to teach you? <laughs> All right, we're moving on. Uh, should have been retired. Uh, oh, no. See, you guys may. I skipped the whole line here. Let's yeah. see. Bad actress to brute. To Cracks boot. under Talk pressure. About her. Yeah. Check. Check. I don't know how anyone can like this crap. John Ford, who was a closet homosexual, by the way, because that apparently matters, um, Edward. was way past his best and should have been retired. During filming, Stewart made some racist remark to black actor Woody Strode. I couldn't actually find that anywhere. I, I have um, that if you want. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, go ahead. Uh, he, he didn't really make it about Willie Strode necessarily, but... Um I think, oh God, I'm sorry, I have to find it. Jesus Christ. Okay, while Keep he going. finds it, I'll finish. Uh, a decade later, he confirmed oh. his racism by uh, by firing actor Hal Williams from his NBC TV show uh, just because the poor guy was black. This is a dated movie, and John Wayne represents everything that is bad about America. 15 out of 46 
found that helpful. <laughs> okay, so here's the here's the deal, and it actually is pretty bad. Uh, so he was, uh, John John Ford basically called out Jimmy Stewart only once on set because he was calling out uh, John Wayne all the time, embarrassing him. And the only time he embarrassed Jimmy Stewart is when he asked Jimmy Stewart about um, uh, Strode's costume from the film, and uh, and Stewart rec- replied, "It looks a little a little bit Uncle Remusy to me." Uh, Uncle Remus, I guess, is is a is a caricature. Mm-hmm. You know, from let me just check. I think like minstrel shows or some yes. bullshit. So, it, so he was just you know making a slightly racist remark, and then he basically announced that to the whole set, and J- and Jimmy Stewart was like basically embarrassed for the rest of the film. And wait, he said he thought that the guy's costume looked a little Uncle Remusy, and they said that that was racist. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you not agree? I mean. Cares, man. <laughs> right. yeah, like some act, yeah. someone thought someone's costume looked funny. Yep. Like that's um, I, I, it's costumist. So <laughs> this is what he announced. Um, this and I'm going to quote. Uh, so and how? Why does uh, that make John Ford racist at all? I, no, I no, it makes Jimmy Stewart because no, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart made that co- made the I, comment. I mean, ugh, this is like this is like I hate stuff like yeah why it's just annoying because you can't judge like don't don't judge especially if it's uh anachronistic it's like don't try to judge people by to your standards right now yeah you know like 50 years ago yeah please please because you know like everyone's some sort of ist (laughs) you know and 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 why that's like a good movie. It has like a pretty good theme. There's all sorts of different representation in it. Like it's about as good as you could hope for 1962. <laughs> it's almost like they were trying. Yeah. yeah. It's like, give them credit. Yeah. It was woke for the time. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I think and, we've seen that for a few of the movies we've done. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have. And, and John Ford's a really interesting character when it, and so is John Wayne, mm-hmm. frankly, when you get into this sort of stuff, when you start mm-hmm. looking like, especially with native American representation, it's mm-hmm. like, they both have a very mixed bag yeah. when it comes to that kind of stuff, but they were thinking about it. It wasn't just like fucked everything. Yeah. You know, it was right. like, okay, we're going to try to make some steps in this direction. And then they probably screwed up in this other direction at the same time. Yeah. And it's like, it's about as best, that's about as good as you can get with somebody. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, is that it for the reviews? I guess we're That's done with the reviews. the reviews. Oh, yeah. Too old? Like, get out Too of here, old. dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, who yeah. cares? Also, uh, the, uh, the suggestions that he made. Not, not this. Anthony Perkins? Like, re- yeah, really? Thinking, I, I Anytime somebody tries to remake the movie in their criticism, they start to lose me a little bit. Yeah. Although yeah. I agree with that. I like reviews that do that. That's cast it today. That's my favorite. You know, this movie would be better if it was The Wild Bunch. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah. see, we have come across a review that was kind of something like yeah. that before. It was like, uh, uh, watch a Wesley Snipes movie. Remember that review yeah. that we yeah. had? Watch yeah. Blade that or something. Was, yeah. <laughs> the only movie anyone ever needs to watch is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Absolutely. It's true. It's true. Stand behind it. But the third one. Wait, though, what do we do with the sequels? Are we just ignoring the one where they go back to feudal Japan? You don't are, have are to, we, but you are can. we ignoring them? No, yes. they, oh, really? Yes, we are. <laughs> because <laughs> Secret of the U's because is okay. They're they're not compared to the first. No, one. no, you're right. Like, yeah. like it's like look, it's they, like you could go to film school or you could just watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We need more bebop <laughs> and rock <laughs> steady. You're gonna learn everything you need to know watching that movie. 
can't beat that. That was perfect. So uh, we're going to rate this film, gentlemen. Mm. Uh, and uh, George, you can give it any rating you want. You don't have to follow any stupid scale, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck you want. We kind of make up our own. So we're going to start with uh, with Derek here. Oh, hey. Hey, Derek. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it nine out of 12. Damn. That's yes. pretty good for you. That's Damn. pretty good for me. Yeah. 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 What's uh, that so far of what the... percentage wise, what is oh, that? Jesus, that's too much math, man. 75. Damn. Think so, 75. Check out the brain on bread. That is, that is yeah. it's yeah. a C. You're giving it a C. To me, that's. You're trying C. to confuse us mm. with your weird 12 um, scale. I'm <laughs> confusing you guys with my weird scale. It's calling uh, I usually low, like, I usually don't rate things very high, though. You can ask the rest of these yeah, guys. Derek's I'm usually a, pretty low. No, no, I'm pretty high for him. Like, what, what was your 12? Andre Tarkovsky was wasn't it? involved at all. I don't yeah. think yeah. I had a 12. I think I had a, totally. I've only had an 11, yeah. and that was out in like childhood. Rules of the Game was a 12 for you. Oh, yeah. Actually, you may be right. Rules mm. of the Game. That was my. I think that was the closest. You did say that was a perfect film. Did I say that? Well, you, you didn't, maybe you didn't say that, but you gave it a 12. Mm. Mm. I gave it a high one. Yeah. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Everybody yeah. else was low. So anyway, uh, yeah, but uh, so far of the, of the Did you have John pros Ford and cons movies, also? I don't really why, do why pros are you giving and cons. It, why are you giving it this number? Um, I love it's it. kind <laughs> of, it's kind of just based upon my own uh, well, yes, I know reaction that, but, but, to it. But, yeah. it's, it's a gut reaction. <laughs> it's, a, it's always a gut feeling. And it's based upon other things and then what I've rated those things. Numbers come from Because now it's become that kind of thing where I have to go back and I have to say, okay, well, what did I give this? It's more just comparatively, so, like, I gave now this Now it's that, comparatively, so, yeah. that's what it's become. Yeah, I should have done from the beginning a Sean scale, which is just... You know, he's got these, I, I like the Sean scale because he's got these hard and fast rules, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's got the minus a star if it's not in English. Yep, if I got to read it. Things such as that, you know? I mean... Makes it easy. I yeah. at least respect but, the math but, in but that You're shit. like plus 1.35 points if it's not in English. <laughs> exactly. Correct. <laughs> uh, His math plus, is just harder. Yeah, plus one, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. It's um, Russian. It's two points. <laughs> yeah. mm, not necessarily, because I, we've watched uh, we've watched a we Russian have. film I that I uh, Gregory Chukre's Ballad of a Soldier, which yeah. I doubt me. you've seen. Because did not like. You shouldn't have. Yeah. Did not like. You don't have to. You don't need to. Um, you do need to listen to ars- the episode. Arsenal. Arsenal. That's the one there. It's Arsenal. Called. It's called Arsenal. Uh, yeah. I forget the directors. Mm. I like those old Soviet silent films. Yeah. <laughs> We haven't done any silent movies yet. Yeah. I thought yeah, we considered, considered but the, we're, we're going to next week. Okay, we are. What did yeah. you say, George? I, I, I was considering a silent film, but I, I bet, you know the problem. A lot of them is they're just, they're just too long. Yeah. Mm. Um, oh. uh, that's the thing that that really they struggle with. But you know, you could watch uh, like Sherlock Junior or something like that, and yeah. you're totally in it. It's mm. not a problem. Yeah. We'll be watching The General next week. Ah, mm. right on. Cool. So, yeah. Well, yes. But getting back to my rating, yeah. Um, <laughs> no justification. Uh, essentially no justification almost because <laughs> it's a compare I, and contrast. It's, is what it's you're a compare and contrast, and so, well, so I think that I like where, so so I would put I like Searchers better than this. Okay. Um. Do you know but why? I mm, or is it just feelings? It's a bit feelings, and it's about like um, a lot of times rewatchability. A lot of times, uh, yeah. Pretty much feelings. Rewatchability yeah. is rewatchability an important, has a lot of It's an interesting point to bring up in a review because yeah. it's like 
yeah, is there more to this? Was because it's like gravity mm. is a fun yeah. experience if you saw it in a theater. But or there's something. no reason to rewatch it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and timelessness of a movie too. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and like things like if it does apply today, that's. It. But that almost is kind of so timelessness is almost. A, a given if we're watching it on this show <laughs> then we have to be picking it because it is seemingly a timeless movie with of course the exception of that monkey movie that we watched uh, yeah. uh, that was timeless fuck no that movie is <laughs> not timeless that's not timeless uh, we didn't bet time for Bonzo yeah Jesus. I hope you were talking about uh, yeah. uh, 2001 oh no yeah, we're not no, quite there yet it just yet. puts me right to sleep oh, puts you right to sleep are you oh do you not uh, like 2001? Do, do I not like it? I've seen it in pieces. I've never seen the whole thing. You're, the, you're the only film school person I've met that agrees with me on that. I cannot do 2001. Did we just become best oh, friends? Gosh. We did. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. They're exchanging numbers right now. Oh, man. Uh, so this is an exciting so moment for there, me. So, I mean, you know, we can, we can yeah. talk more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> same with Ad Astrada. Oh, my God. Ad Astra. Fucking better, so not <laughs> as good as the searchers. Yes, but better than stagecoach. But better than stagecoach. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right, we're gonna move on to you, Mister Sean Fall. Ah, uh, yes. This one I am going to go with four out of five stars. Um, I very much enjoyed this movie. Um, it had a lot of really good elements. I really like the. Um, first off, the, the characters are all good, partially because we kind of already know the characters from other movies, but they are like, you know, these, again, movie stars that are just compelling to watch. Um, but also like, it's always plus at least a star for good comedy, you know, especially mixed in with a, a solid story and a solid, um, other, elements of the story you know like i said before we have the drama we have the this sort of tension we have these elements and then to actually pull off real comedy and especially seeing the duke doing like not necessarily slapstick but like the weird little hat shit i just loved like he threw the dude's hat on the ground and like it just kind of escalated into this thing and then like you know there's just these these weird little like I don't know, almost vaudevillian, but like he still plays it as like such a straight man that like it's almost a weird, again, juxtaposition of the Duke doing comedy. And to me, that is just fantastic. Was there one uh, comedic moment that jumped out of you? Your favorite one? Um, honestly, my favorite is the fucking, uh, the Marshall. Um, what is his name? Do we know that? Is um, that the actor's name? Yeah, no, no, no. The 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 guy that was Old the Prosh exact, type of guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he to me he is just the the quintessential comic relief in these movies and yeah. just does such he, a great yeah, job. Yeah, Peabody driver. Yeah, and I mean he's like it's. He's a ridiculous no, character, actually, no, but wrong. he's not Link, out of Apple place Yard. at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Apple Yard. Apple Yard, yeah. yeah. Apple yeah. Yard. So it, he works in the Link. context of this story. And like his Mexican wife and his 30 children, like all of that stuff just kind of like comes together to make this ancillary character just really complete and real, even though he's like this fun, bumbling fool that like just doesn't want to do his job. Uh, Andy Devine is his name. Andy Devine, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, I also found it interesting. A lot Adam of these guys. Devine's dead? 
<laughs> he kind of looks <laughs> like him. A lot of these guys were football players. I'm looking uh-huh. at. It's really interesting. It's like almost like they're they're very team oriented. Yeah. Like John Ford is like this coach, and he's got a bunch of football players. Like they're all former football players. It looks like. Yep. Well, uh, football and military have a yeah. lot of like interconnectivity there, and you know the Hollywood system was very much based on former military protocol and old military guys. I mean, the military sets I'm on are always the best and well, most well-run and most efficient. Like, you Anyway. know, they get shit done. I also just want to quickly mention my favorite comedic moment. And it just, this quickly, was the was the doctor who came in and yeah. took a swig of alcohol. Totally. That's seen in the whole movie. That is great. Dead. <sighs> What's your diagnosis? Dead. <laughs> Dead. Dead. Was <laughs> it? Uh, whiskey. Over, and then he yeah. takes yeah, a drink. Yeah, and then drinks it. Yeah, like, drinks it himself. Kicks it. Corks it back. Kicks him <laughs> over and says, <laughs> yep. That, and it, I mentioned it earlier, but again, one of the funniest moments in this movie is John Wayne kicking that dude in the face. Yeah. Um, in yeah. the, the the steak on the floor scene, when like the the secondary henchman goes after him, he he just does this like swift kick out of nowhere that just lands right and fucking oh man, such a great moment. <laughs> it's great. It is. Okay, so uh, George, we're gonna go to you. Uh, what do you got for us? What's your rating? So Seventy-five, and you got an eighty percent. Somewhere there. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> a lot of math. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's probably. I I'll go. Uh, I'll go. School ratings. I think it's probably like a. Uh, B plus. A minus something like that. Okay. Um, I I'm I'm a little predisposed towards liking westerns, yeah. so. I'll, Say, say that maybe I've not seen everything right, but yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And you know, part of it is just like the fact that you can watch a two-hour movie from 1962 and not be bored totally. ever. I, I think that's a good sign for mm. how yeah. well it's made, and yeah. the fact that all the like uh, technical aspects of like how they made it were considered, and like the story is really considered. Mm. And as you're watching it, it's like entertaining the entire time. Um, I, you know, maybe the Matrix is more spectacular. Maybe the Searchers is more spectacular. But um, yeah, I think it's like a solid story told well. It's got good themes and the kind of stuff that I, I'm like a more and more a hero's journey kind of mm. is what I seek in a story. And it has a lot of that kind of stuff, even for the ancillary characters. Like people are redeeming themselves in little ways. And and they are having like little journeys that you're seeing parts of, and but you're you're tuned into it because that's like the the mode that they talk in mm. or something like that. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm gonna give this an eight out of ten. I I think this is a really great movie. Um, I really love that's the fact. Same as four out of five. Yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> but the thing is, I think it's great because I love both of these characters a lot. I think that they I really can connect with them. I love the idea of of dealing with memory in general and, and nostalgia and, and the way we look back on things in general. Obviously, I love history, but I like the way that, you know, we, we have a hero here who we, we think is the hero the whole time, but it turns out the guy who really is the hero is, you know, the guy who's unsung, who doesn't mm-hmm. get any of the credit. And I love those things. And I love just just thinking about, uh, you know, the ending, you know, and how it's not your traditional Western ending. It is really not happy. It's kind of abrupt. Uh, even though I did say earlier, I was sort of... Uh, Stretched. It was anticlimactic for a little bit. I, I know. Sorry, George. I hate that word. But I think that. <laughs> uh, but I think that it's. Uh, You're wrong. <laughs> I can't be. That's tr- probably am. But I think that. Um, I, I just think the, the structure was anticlimactic in its nature. Yes, and and there, there's a purpose for that. And maybe I'm just you know, 
my personal opinion, I wish more of an action-y type of thing, but that's just me being a, a child. <laughs> um, but I think it's a great movie because it, it makes you think, as George said, it's not just this two-hour escapism, which I think I thought it was, but it does have that escapism with these extra layers of, of memory and legend and character and relationship. So there's a lot there. There's a lot of depth. And the performances are all great. Uh, you know, and technically it's 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 great. And I think great point, as you said, doesn't drag. So yeah. except for maybe a couple of the speeches, but whatever. Mm. It's fine. I can deal with a little monologuing. So uh overall good movie. It holds up. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Check it out. Eight out of ten. Uh Tim, what you got? I liked it. You know, I like this movie. It, like in terms of films, you know, I would rate this film as like the kind of film that like if I left it home alone, I'd make sure to close the window. <laughs> but uh but I <laughs> sometimes they just fly away. You know? <laughs> sometimes they don't. <laughs> it's the implication. <laughs> Um, either way, uh, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I like Westerns just fine. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, this was just, it, it was, uh, it was a studio picture. It was kind of a Western at the end of it, but, uh, the, the comedy in it really surprised me and I liked that a lot. And, uh, Jimmy Stewart's always a winner for me. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Love really? that guy. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's a, you know, it's a window closer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, it's gonna get cool. steamy. Yeah. Mm. That's, all I have, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> nice all right, gum callback. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, remember to watch all these stupid shows we have on uh, Fallcast Network. Yeah, They're all available okay. on the Fallcast Network, and they're all also available to be seen on one of our fine mugs, which is available to mm. purchase on yeah. Sean Fawn. Yep, SeanFaw.com, Fawcast.com, whatever you want to do. Fawcast.com slash store, I believe it is, but you can just click on the store once you're on there. Uh, check out all the shows on the Fawcast Network. We got Tech Before Calling going down on South Park, Pilot Tinkering, Literally Literary, and this wonderful show that you're listening to right now, Celluloid Breakdown. Yeah, yeah you got money, we want yeah. Yep. Th- thanks for listening. Uh, we'll keep doing this, but we'll definitely keep doing this. Yeah. If you start doing some of the shit that we ask you to do during oh. the music segment. Um, so let's uh, let's go to any recommendations before we okay. do. Uh, yeah. George, just, just, just I actually okay. in the last week I've really been getting into this uh, this podcast by Jamie, Jamie Jeffers, Jimbo Jeffers. What is it? It's the British History Podcast. Oh. It's it's great. It's fantastic. I haven't heard of it. George, I don't know if you know of this. Uh, it's a podcast that covers British history from the from the end of the Ice Age to uh, to to World War II, and it's it's just amazing. I listen to it just about every uh, night. Just I to go catch to bed. up, where are you at right now? I um, am approximately in the beginning of the sixth century. You know, like we're we're like King Ethelbert just died. Like it was, it was Holy pretty cow. exciting. Is that Humpty Dumpty? Yeah. Did you yeah, see the uh, kind of like the a trailer wobble. for the the king? The king? The king's men? I've not. No, no, the king. The king's men. The king? It's uh, Henry V. Oh. But it's uh, oh. like Ben Mendelssohn's in it. So <laughs> dope, dope, dope. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, I forget Did the you kid's really name. ever see Mississippi Grind? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, it's really good. He's he's the leading no, man. No, I did. Who's it? Who, Opposite who, uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yes, I did see mm-hmm. that. Rian Reynolds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what was it? They're, they're the King. You should check out yes. the trailer to that. It looks really cool. It's cool. Uh, Mich- Michad. 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 David yeah. Michaud. Michaud. Yeah. Michaud. Yeah. Say that. Um, cool. Joel Edgerton, too. He wrote it, too. Edgerton. Yeah. Wow. Ed- Edgerton. Yeah, it, looks, cool. it looks awesome. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll check out the trailer. And uh, so should probably our listeners, maybe. Yeah, yeah they should check it out, maybe. You know, We're not going to tell you what to do. But yeah, uh, yeah. anybody else uh, been getting into anything? I've been watching yeah. season two of Mind Hunter, which is uh, mm. it's quite compelling. The Fabulous Gemstones is good. Uh, people keep yeah, telling me to watch that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and recommend a little movie called Freaks. Um, I was I'm, wondering if you guys would do that, and have you, have you did that? In this? No, no, this is Freaks. brand new. Nineteen ninety, or uh, I'm sorry, two thousand. It's technically whatever year we're but in. It, it was just Freaks. released in theaters this September, two thousand nineteen. Um, I don't know anything about it. You, honestly, that's the best thing to do. Um, this is a movie that you do not want to know much about going into. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of a mystery sort of story, um, but it blends together a lot of different kinds of movies and genres into like a retelling or a a new look on very tried material yeah so um without giving away too much it's like uh you know stuff that you've seen a thousand times already but it's like from a very new perspective okay um so i would definitely it's is that playing at amc yeah yeah it's in the uh um most eh, you know your your secondary theaters i guess or it's kind of like an artsy thing but it is uh yeah definitely solid Cool. Uh, George, just want to thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks. It was nice it was having fun. you. Yeah, yeah, it was great having you on, man. Do you want to recommend anything? Any plugs? Anything like that? Yeah. What have you been into lately? What are you uh, selling? <laughs> selling? Selling nothing. Uh, I've been rewatching My Hero Academia. Uh, which has that? been. That's, I think that's an anime. anime. Uh, anime. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, Drew Thompson uh, of the band Single Mothers from London, Ontario, uh, just released a new solo record this last week. Or like last two weeks, uh, I think it was September 6th that came out, but it's a fantastic fucking record. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, Tool has a new album. Fear Inoculum. <laughs> uh, oh just, my God, you I and think, Sean. I think everyone in this room probably I still that. not mm-hmm. listened well, to it. They don't care. It but... <laughs> yet. Have you listened to Fear Inoculum? Yes. Yeah. What'd you think? That's good. I need. Yeah. I needed to... I need to absorb. Yeah. Um, did you mm. need the, or did you listen to the new Blink record? There's a new Blink-182 album. Is that the I, one with the UFOs? No, no. Uh, the, the UFOs are gone. Tom DeLong left the band. Oh, yeah. he's not in the band anymore? No, no. That's all I know. It's a terrible band and a terrible record. Mm. Like, I, I grew up, li- I loved them. They were like my Backstreet Boys, but the the, <laughs> the album that they've come out with and like the band it, it, this at this iteration is mm. terrible. The new kids were my Backstreet Boys. There you go. Right on. Mm. Marky Mark. Mm. Maybe Eric, even Eric Clapton though. was my Backstreet Boy. He had a Main Street Boy. <gasps> Jeez, he snuck in uh, there. That was, because, oh. that was because I forgot to uh, I forgot to do it last week. So yeah. I had to get two in there. Double Though usually there. once I start, I just have trouble stopping. It's more yeah. of a self-control thing, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> Again, yep. yeah. Yeah. another another week we yeah. couldn't Shout go without Brian Hayes for making it all the way to the to this part of the episode <laughs> to the <laughs> longest That's episode it. in podcast history. Whoa. Yes, yeah. all right, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, George is an interesting guy. He's got a lot of shit going around in <laughs> Melon. <laughs> <laughs>
In the future, when we do Satan Tango, we got to do seven and a half hour episode, right? I can't yeah. fucking wait because that's also the like that's the same era of Empire Records. So true, true. <laughs> Empire Records, that'd be uh, Empire we're, Records. I, that, and they're gonna do like nineties. It's one of the finest films. You got to do. You got okay. If you ever, if you guys ever get out of the sixties, yeah, <laughs> you got to do like. Empire Records would be great. Yeah. Uh, Cruel Intentions would be great. <laughs> yeah. The trick to everyone out there that uh, if you ever want to watch Cruel Intentions, you have to just remember it's a comedy. It's not a mm. drama. Yeah. If you, it's all, it's all, it's Same all about with Grand framing. Torino. Yeah. You just have to know what you're getting, getting yourself into. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Same thing with Robocop. Mm. True. Comedy. But, uh, oh, yeah. All, all, all of those. Uh, yeah. well, uh, what's yeah, his comedy. name? Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Starship yeah. Troopers. Cool. Classic. Yeah, come in next week for, what is it? The General, Buster Keaton. Nice. Buster Keaton, ooh, fun. I've never seen a Buster Keaton film before. Mm, you're in for a treat, sir. Yeah. Cool beans. Man. You'll have cool. seen everything in the Tiny Toons or the cool. Looney Tunes. But it also sounds uh, short. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I'm guessing I 90. think Buster Keaton's usually pretty short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 90 minutes or less, yeah. yeah 90 Absolutely. down. 82 minutes. Toodles. See you later. Yetios. Bye. <laughs>